when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thursday, and it's time to welcome you to Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's been inspiring and provoking us lately. But we are not going to talk about Practical Magic, uh, which the whole <laughs> gang is watching in the recording studio. We've just spent about 20 minutes, sort of like. No, there's a new thing happening over here, no, Rob. There, Rob. There, there's a singularity occurring. Rob, this is Austin coming to you live from the scene. Uh, yeah, there's a, as, as an expert uh, in, in all things cosmological. Danielle Riando says there is a singularity happening on the Vice Brooklyn uh, monitor here. I don't know how else to describe it. This is a fucking singularity. You imagine? And you can see it right behind, above my head. Yeah. Right um, here. Uh, imagine color bars, you know, like the kind to, to do a. Like, a, e- the TV's You know, not with the working. color bars. But then imagine there has been a, a realm, a, a dimensional rift opened up into another realm, the realm of the control booth itself. The Kingdom Hearts? Uh, the Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> and there is like a cursor going back and forth in the background, but in the foreground there was a rift open up with live video of a control room. That is not this one. I We're not in it. We're I, not in this I video. I think it's this one, but it's not live. I think that's a picture. Or is maybe we're not actually here. No, it's a picture. Too Look, many, nothing else room. is moving. That's, that's the, bear. the bear room. That's the bear that's room. That's the bear what? room? What sort of midnight oh, channel shit okay. is going on at Vice This is Direct. really bananas. Wow. That's my professional we opinion. You know what the spell they were casting did. That's the thing. Two screens over. Practical Magic, the 1998 classic starring Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock, in which they lick each other, uh, is playing. They're sisters. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. I, well, I didn't know that until Rob told me. Uh, so I'm just needed, just needed to sort of like just nip that one in the bud get there before that <laughs> that fic could be completed before just the, be like, mm. the, the letter can come in. I can't even. There's a cat. Good. What is this podcast? What is this? There's five of us here. Uh, yeah, we got a, We got a full uh, a full boat. The boat is full. Uh, We've got Patrick Klopek, who you just heard. Hello. He's here. <laughs> Danielle wow. Riendo. Still what holding, carrying, Riendo. carrying She's over here. the grudge from the last podcast into the beginning of this one. Austin Walker. Hey, hi, Rob. Nice to be here. Hey, Austin. Great to have you. Thanks. <laughs> and Natalie Watson. Hey, Rob. I just want to say I'm so happy to be here today. Oh, man. It's always great when you're on the pod. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, so to catch everyone up a little bit... Um, <laughs> I don't have a waypoint this week. My my waypoint this week is probably nailed it again uh, <laughs> because mm-hmm. last week my partner had a root canal go extremely fucking bad. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. Ouch. But also, ironically, given last week's uh, waypoints topic, it, one of the reasons it went so extraordinarily bad is because the dental surgeon 
decided to be stingy as hell with the pain medications. Oh, God. And despite the fact that it was a pretty nasty root canal, uh, adopted the position that ibuprofen should be sufficient for whatever you're dealing with. And ignored two phone calls in which my partner was like, hey, this is really bad and getting worse. And the response was, yeah, root canals hurt. Take more ibuprofen. That is not true either. Root canals wow. are not supposed to hurt if they're done right. Not that much. The whole much. thing is, you, yeah, they hurt a little bit and you get pain meds for them. But if they're done well, their nerve is gone. So there shouldn't be any pain left. Right. That's the oh. way it works. It should just be like sore. Yeah, there's a soreness yeah. and like um, there's healing happening, right? Yeah. But like, But the nerve is gone. That is the point of the root canal. It's, wow. a, it's a pain reduction surgery. I know this because I had one not that long ago and I have another couple probably coming. <laughs> So the the awesome part was so there was an, an emergency dental surgery situation which happened after a sleepless night of like intense pain. Uh and then we finally got um some serious like painkillers uh Norco I think in this case. And we got enough for less than a day at full dose. Oh my god. Uh so that began to run out like while the pain was still pretty intense, at which point, and this is fun, you have to go to a doctor who's clearly leery of giving people prescription painkillers and try to get that person to give you more pills without exhibiting pill-seeking behavior. Oh, my God. Uh, it's an awesome catch-22 of like, <laughs> so I really need these pills not for recreational <laughs> or sales purposes, but because of the excruciating pain you've left me in for days. Um, so Thanks. he and I have this, I end up going to pick up the prescription from him on like Sunday morning. And we have this conversation that I still can't quite get over. He's starting to explain to me about like his whole philosophy on this stuff. And he's like, you know, we just got to address underlying issues. He's like, my position oh my is <laughs> pills aren't care. Uh, you got you to gotta get at the underlying medical issue. You got to think uh, your way. It's, it's irresponsible thinking. to just... Yeah, and I'm, st- I'm, I'm staring at him like, but what about those cases where the pills are care? <laughs> what about those cases where the care has produced pain, which you then have to treat? And he was like, no. No. What, what you got to do is get the doctor back involved and find the first cause of the pain, and that is what we treat. The pain itself, uh, good luck. Fucking the butchery in my mouth. That is the cause. Yeah. Thanks, Pythagoras. Yeah. Like, what the fuck off? Give me some it meds. Was, I'm in pain. Dude, I w- basically was just furious for days on end. Uh, my, my partner, I think, would have been, except for the just really grinding, awful pain. Uh, the only thing that was good in that whole period was nailed it. Uh, yeah. Man, if you need to be distracted by the lightest uh, and sort of most... A dental drill light- just happened. There was a weird sound us. here. In, in When I said control. nailed it? Yes. Yeah, it didn't happen again this time. <laughs> but you braced yourself. Oh, I did brace myself. Yeah. <laughs> nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. Ah, you're going you're gonna to summon uh, Nicole Byer. <laughs> that Jordan Peele make- update's going in some weird directions. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, uh, but anyway, continue watching Nailed It. It's that great. show remains awesome. I did 
kind of find it striking, though, degree, the degree to which Jacques Torres in season two mm-hmm. is no longer here for this shit. He's in like season two, he is no longer amused by people like not checking the doneness of their cake. That's because they've seen the first season. So many people in the second season clearly have seen the first season, and some of them have learned lessons. Many of them have not, <laughs> and it's remarkable. And yeah, he's he is he is. On one of the couple of episodes. I think he is visibly angry and embarrassed on the episode where Ron Ben Israel is there. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Because Ron Ben Israel also had a great pastry show called Sweet Genius, which if you haven't seen it, look it up. It's like, what weird ingredient can I give you that you then have to make like a world-class dessert out of? And it has a weird, fun energy all its own. But the guy's a legitimate, like brilliant pastry chef. And he's on Nailed It. And it's maybe the worst group of contestants in the history of the show. <laughs> oh, God. Like, That's saying something. Yeah. Like, it's it's a debacle. I think they have to tell one person to add flour. I think they have to stop the show. Like, <laughs> they have to like, run over there. Like, uh, that was a oh, step yeah, too far? <laughs> <laughs> that is what it is, right? That is the is that the moment that Jock Torres actually gets out of his chair and goes over to be like, um, hey, yeah. I know you didn't hit the button to magically bring me over here, but... <laughs> We have to have a TV show, which we Nicole, do have to have. Nicole Byer goes over there. Oh, it was like, so, um, right, What she, ingredients did you add to all that? She likes Socratic methods, the person, right? <laughs> She's like, so you tell me what you're doing. You know what? I'm just going to keep asking you questions until you stumble into what your big mistake was. It's, it, it, was, a, uh, it, was, it was a good time. It was a light in the darkness. Uh, Nailed It remains a fairly magical uh, cooking competition show. Uh, so shouts out to Nailed It and uh, to Prescription Painkillers <laughs> when and if you can eventually get them uh, from your doctor who's convinced himself that uh, his job is the moral uplift of his patients. God. Uh, anyway, um, so speaking of debacles <laughs> that are almost excruciating to behold. Uh-huh. Uh, well, well, speaking of that week, as well, I, I just need to interject here and say that Jupiter Ascending is on next. Oh, Sorry. I've always ahead. wanted to see this it's movie. It's wonderful and great, and it's going to be a waypoint at some point in my life. And I'm sorry, Rob. Please continue. Uh, yeah, so we've all been into Fire, uh, directed by Chris Smith. And this is one of two. Do <laughs> 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 we do that show? Do show where we're just like, so... Heat. <laughs> Very interesting. Waypoint 101. Fire. Fire. How do you make one? What did you guys burn this week? <laughs> Why are Chicago metro workers lighting the rails on fire? Oh, it's true. They are. God. That's a best practice. Don't don't make fun of it. Uh, anyway, so this week we've been watching... Rob here the- from the Metro Workers Union. <laughs> No, during that during that horrific winter we had in Boston, uh, like they were burning all sorts. They were they, there were fires running all over. Well, okay, so our trains catch on fire pretty much regardless. Uh-huh. They do. But sometimes they're yeah. set intentionally to warm the tracks up. Yep. Anyway, point is, fire Netflix directed by Chris Smith. It's one of two fire festival documentaries uh, that are out right now, and I think we've all sort of been luridly fascinated by it. You know, yeah, the internet has been fascinated by it for a minute. And I was like, how wild could it be? 
And the answer is beyond your your wildest expectations. <laughs> it keeps going every single second of that documentary <laughs> that you think it could not get worse. The next second, it gets a thousand times worse, uh, which is just fascinating to watch. Um, I'll say at the top that uh, uh, fire this fire doc, the Netflix one, there's also another one on Hulu, um, but this one is produced by uh, or shot by Vice Studios. I you believe. like see our office in it in a number you, of th- times. Or some I think we said interviews? in yeah we said in one episode that my desk was used before it was my desk as like one of the interview s- spots, and Joel said that one of that his desk was also used, which is very funny. Uh, but yeah, so I just wanted to say that at the top. Uh, I mean, we should also say that like this one, they're both compromised productions, which is part of the level of interest it's as if no one could get close to the fire festival without somehow compromising themselves yeah. right um yeah, fire burned fire fest which was the hulu one includes an interview with uh billy mcfarland billy mcfarland who got paid some amount of money we know from other reporting from from what chris smith has gone out to say i believe, believe it was smith said that billy mcfarland said who's the the kind of head kind of the mastermind behind this travesty. Um, he demanded $125,000 for an interview. And, and Chris Smith says that, that, uh, that Hulu must've paid him or did pay him 250,000. Uh, who the, the Hulu site says, no, 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 that's an inflated number. Yes, we paid him, but that's an inflated number. But like when it's just an inflated number, we know that this dude who did this ridiculous, terrible thing was, was still paid a lot of, money. a lot of money. And then the, the, uh, Netflix doc that Vice co-produced co-produced it with uh, what's Jerry the, Media. With Jerry Media. Jerry, fuck Jerry. Fuck, uh, fuck Jerry. Yes. Um, um, fuck Jerry. So if you do not know, is an Instagram meme account mm-hmm. that has earned its fame based on stealing and uncrediting the memes of other meme makers, meme comedians, uh, so. and Jerry Media also was. The producer of a lot of the marketing material. Yeah, they for... were the social media marketing right. team for Firefest. So, compromised... I mean, not for Firefest, the documentary for Fire for the, the fire... actual Fire for the Festival. actual yes. Fire Festival. Um, yeah. If you don't know what Fire Festival is, I guess that's the other thing. Is like, I guess it's possible you're listening to this and don't know, right? It's, it's been two years more than since possible. it blew uh, up, right? Yeah, it's been a couple years. It was also fire... uh, we we were here uh, at the time when it uh, started blowing up, and it was. It was amazing to watch like our back end like numbers system where you can watch like how many Dude, people are reading I an article. About that. Where Holy shit. it was literally you put Fire Festival in the headline. Like so around the time of the doc when they're talking about things blowing up with the the uh, the, the cheese sandwich thing, which kind of kicks off the, the virality part of it as it all falls apart. Like it was at a time where like any Fire Festival, whatever, was put in a headline and like five thousand people would just click it. It was um I mean every outlet in the world was Jumping on the the traffic bandwagon, there was fire festival. That was not that was hardly something exclusive device, mm-hmm. but it was. Um, it's. I'm sure Austin, you saw some of that stuff. Like it was oh, yeah. amazing to watch just the sheer amount of interest, like just into this thing 
for like probably a week, at least like a week, people yeah. were mining like interest out of it. The the thing that that uh, we we have tools on our side to, to check a million different metrics about what people are paying attention to. And obviously, at the high level, that's just like oh clicks and views. Uh, it's also things like how long are people staying on a page? Um, and then a big one is just concurrence. How many people in this given moment are reading this story? Um, and, you know, I, without giving specific numbers, I think it's fair to say that, like, we have a number in our heads. It's like, oh, yeah, this story, this story is doing okay. This story is doing well. This story is a huge success. I would say the amount of concurrence on that initial, like, couple of fire stories were, like, five to ten times as high as yeah. a big success. Like, like a viral we, story. Yes, like true, like This so wasn't much viral. Bigger. This was the entire internet's spotlight onto a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was just for us. Like, we're not even talking about what we could see from other other outlets, you know, via other tools, where it's just like everyone was hitting this, and there was just such a schadenfreude around what was a incredibly high-priced uh, kind of music festival is how it was advertised. Music festival and kind of grand party, the greatest party ever ever thrown, um, in which a bunch of influencers uh, spent lots of money to go to an island uh, in in the Caribbean and in the Bahamas. The Bahamas. Well, influencers right? didn't necessarily spend money. Like there was influencers part of it, but lots of just not average people because you were paying like three thousand dollars a ticket. Yeah, but there there were non-social people that were spending an extraordinary amount yes. of money to yes. participate but in the, the branded influencer part. Right. Because, yeah. I think that's fair. There definitely yeah. are people who spent, but those people were rich also. Or yes. like everyone say, but they're not, they're not influencers. Say, they just have a lot of money. When we say high price, we're talking about like the l- smallest package, I believe, for like a tent with two twin beds was like $25,000. I think they added stuff that was like 10 eventually, but that's still $10,000 for a three day trip. Yeah. Which was extremely expensive. Yeah. So, um, and, and so they went and it was, it was, uh, there was a crash and burn situation, right? Like the tents had been flooded by, without getting ahead in the dock where we're not going to go beat by beat in this, but like everything was bad. The tents were destroyed. There was no real food there. There, there was, was no like, infrastructure. They had to like move islands. There was like, uh, no infrastructure to be able to build any of these or things. I'm just saying for the moment, the day that this, oh, blew the day up, that they got there, yeah. We just started getting, People on social media sending pictures of like I spent ten thousand dollars for this flooded tent and <laughs> photos cheese the cheese sandwich photo where they're supposed to be getting the best food in the world and instead they had like a piece of white bread with a piece of like craft cheese on it <laughs> and inside some of a styrofoam lettuce. and some old lettuce I forgot about the <laughs> lettuce and so I think part of the reason it was such a big success was it felt in the moment and now we know better obviously but like there were no real victims here because it seemed as if what had happened was. People went to a deserted island expecting, not no victims. Not we didn't de- care about the victims. The, the, the victims were people who were hyper wealthy and who had been conned into going to a disaster. It was like, yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah. Fuck the rich. Right. Like, hope you had fun in your because fucking it, bullshit weekend. Right. Because it felt like uh, they were inconvenienced for a few days. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that the Firefest or the Fire Doc on Netflix did that was at least a step in the right direction was like it absolutely involved people from the island uh, Exuma from Exuma the island where this took place mm-hmm. and did at least give voice to who ended up footing some of the bill and it was local people mm-hmm. uh, I wish there'd been more attention paid there yeah. obviously um, but I was happy that, that those conversations were at least part of this story yeah but one of the main interviewers was like a local restaurant owner um, on the island and another one was like the 
um, Bahamian like point of contact almost. It was kind of his role, I think. Labor foreman or yeah, something. Yeah, he was yeah. like, yeah. Um, it This... This doc, so seeing this documentary opened up a lot of what went on behind behind the scenes and what you're speaking to Austin about, like kind of what we all saw when it happened two years ago. It was, it was, it was like a total like, like the internet was celebrating the fucking fall of not the fall even, but just like the inconveniencing of all these rich fucking losers um and yeah i don't know what else to call them i mean you see interviews with these with with some of the people that attended and it's like i don't give one a of the fuck. dude's names is like wesley flossington the fourth like <laughs> and like his immediate reaction is like i'm going to get mummy's lawyer and he, like, and he filed well, he tagged his lawyer on twitter yeah, oh he filed God. a personal suit. There was like a, there was like a, what is it called when there's like a class breach action. of contract? A class action. Oh, right. yeah. And he was like, I don't want to wait for that one to be done. I'm going to do well, my I mean, own. He's, he, they, they are like, legal, if you actually want to like inflict pain on the people that did something, class actions historically are like a really long, bad way to get that done. Whereas a one-on-one lawsuit, I mean like the legal strategy is not terrible Patrick. for what they were trying to do. Flossington Patrick. can... can what? He doesn't <laughs> need another fucking five million dollars. He got awarded thing, five the, million the dollars. Thing, so I don't I don't want us to get too wrapped up in this story because one of the things I've heard actually I've copyright necessitates you going after <laughs> small creators. <laughs> I haven't heard I haven't watched the Hulu doc, but one of the things I've heard that that one really hammers on is a lot of like this like what we're doing now is like really just needling like the sh- shitty millennials, sh- shitty influencers. When really what I think part of what I thought this doc focused on which I think is more important is like who are the people that actually went out and exploited and lied and took advantage of people like it's fun to be like fuck these people like trying to recoup their money when they don't need to at the same time like a whole uh, from what I understand the Hulu doc does a lot more of like that and just like geez these millennials are some real shitheads Um, whereas this doc really spends a lot of time under you know yeah ratcheting away at like the infrastructure that exp- like take away how sh- you know how shitty or not shitty these people that paid money for this like this whole thing still ex- like deeply exploited a whole groups of people in a deeply fraudulent way right well, that's why I think what separates the stock or I think that was kind of what we were setting up was like yeah when this thing blew up that was the focal point and yeah. then what's right. amazing about this doc is everything that leads up until then yeah all of the like development in you know learning that the original like motive or like the original seed that created this whole thing was like an app that was just meant to <laughs> I had uh, no idea which w- yeah I had no idea Me there was an either. there was going to be an app called fire that was already in development um that would have linked uh people it was like I forget what they say. It was like Uber for influencers or something yep. like that. But it was no, basically U- Uber for bookings. Uber. If you needed oh, the audition better. to play <laughs> your quinceanera, I uh, you wish. no longer have to go to Patrick <laughs> and be like, Patrick, I need the audition for this birthday party. I love that. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So basically it would be like uh, celebrities, musicians, everyone. Um, and you could just directly book them without having to go through like PR agents and things like that. So it was just like a platform for doing that. And then in order to to promote it, they decided to throw Fire Festival. Um, and 
the the leader of all this name is Billy McFarlane. He was the CEO. I love that his name is Billy so fucking much. Yeah. <laughs> Just he's such a Billy. He's you know such what a I, Billy. I'm sure there are Bills and I'm Wills sure and Williams some... and Billiams listening. And shout outs to y'all. Shout outs to Billy. But like if you're a scam artist and you keep your name Billy, you <laughs> deserve some and you succeed to any degree, you deserve an award. And you continue? Yeah. Yeah. And um, continue on camera. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh he had like run a couple companies before and whatever. Um, you really get to see how much of a shithead he is. And I mean that to like the upteenth degree, but what you also get to see is like the actual labor that went into, um, you know, at one point, actually, I feel like during most of the actual building process of, of the site, they had almost every single day laborer on the Island of Exuma, um, working for them, uh, uh, you know, none of those day laborers, as far as the doc uh, explains, have been paid for their work. Um, um, a lot of people, a lot of people were unpaid within within the company itself, um, uh, within fire company itself, and with the the, the laborers that they were uh, working with. So, <clears throat> it's it's an excruciating experience to watch. It just uh, ratchets and ratchets. And like, it's one of those things. I think each of us independently watched it at different times. Mm-hmm. And each of us sent uh, an increasing, an increasingly like desperate set of messages to each other as things got worse and worse. Yeah. We talk a lot about how <laughs> there bad can't be 40 happened. minutes left. There can't there be can't 40 be, minutes and left. There is. Uh, there, there's a moment about an hour in, maybe. Uh, there's a point at which they have a smaller island. They have, oh my God. God. So, yep. They started out <laughs> on uh, an island called something K. Uh, Norman's K. Norman's K. Thank oh you. Oh my God. Para Norman's K. Uh, <laughs> uh, Norman's K was formerly owned uh, some odd years ago by Pablo Escobar. Um, the current owner did not want that to be the selling point of this of fire festival taking place on Norman's K. Uh, they talk about how the owner wanted a new image free of, you know, drug dealers and whatever, <laughs> um, from, from the Island. And all this is taking place while you just watch fucking Billy McFarlane in jaw rule on oh. jet skis, jet skis just, together, just chugging yep. brewskis with models. So models. many beers. So many, the they drink ja so many beers. It's how, un- how it's, many beers did he have in this dock? 40? Who could say? Impossible um, to know, and 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 they're the on first, that island. They're shooting. Stuff they're on shooting that stuff on this island. So all the promotional, all of the promotional content uh, was shot on this first island, Norman's K. Um, and the owner said explicitly, you know, n- nothing about Pablo es- Escobar is supposed to be is is to be mentioned in any. That is the con- that is the contingent on which <laughs> this will happen. And in the first promotional video that they release, it's like. Fire Festival <laughs> on an island formerly owned by Pablo Escobar. And immediately they got kicked off the island. It had to go find another fucking island like like two, two months maybe. I don't even it's know. Amazing. Everything. There's... The worst part is everything happens in like the in 45 days leading up to the uh, uh uh, that's the wildest thing. It's like the count. There's a countdown happening. Yeah. There's like all right. Two weeks before. Three days before. And you're like, 
How did you get anything done, honestly? Or like, it kind of goes between two modes. At the beginning, you're like, they have all the time in the world. They have so much time to fix this stuff. They have enough. They, if they're going to do this on this small island with a limited amount of people, they can figure this out. And then everybody who who brings up any concerns, like the pilot, mm-hmm. there's a the thing that I was saying oh. before is there's that moment. There's about a minute during which there's one dude who is <laughs> their pilot. Who uh, um, no, but he's not a pilot. Okay, well he's a pilot because he, he flies himself. a plane. He right, he did teach himself on flight Microsoft Simulator. Flight Simulator. <laughs> he's like anyone can learn. It's, he goes like, the thing that's so amazing to me is there's a minute somewhere in the middle of this movie where he just goes like, yeah, Billy just fell asleep on a beach. And there's a, there's a video of Billy passed the fuck out in the middle of the day on the beach. And then that cuts to another person being like, this guy bought a plane that goes zero G. And like, he just takes us up there. And we go zero G sometimes. And Billy's like, at least four zero Gs every time we go up, <laughs> And please. then it cuts to that guy. And he was like, yeah, I bought a plane because it was a good deal. And then I taught myself on Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's a pretty good learning tool. And that minute is just like... Boom, boom, boom. And that entire middle section of the of the movie is that and it's amazing. And that guy is also like the lo- like the logistics planner. Yes. And he's also the one who's like trying to plan like all of the waste disposal. Right. And he gets fucking let right. go. Because he says this island is too small. He's like, This island's too well, small. There's only sand. There's nothing <laughs> to build on. There's no <laughs> <sighs> Well, this is the other thing about that dude, like Something I appreciate in this documentary is it doesn't portray Billy McFarland as some kind of fucking character, like a mm-hmm. lovable rogue or con man. Yeah, like, right. oh man, that Billy, there he goes with his grift. But it like, does show other people like, like, buying. like ha- buying into that, which is fascinating. Well, like, I think one of the saddest characters in this documentary is uh, Andy his King. buddy Andy King. Oh, Andy King, God. pour one out. Ends up, uh, like, to this day, still sounds, he, he calls like, you know, I just I believed in this kid. He still kind of likes Billy, even though Billy was like egregiously mistreating of Exploiting, Andy and everyone else. Yeah. But I, I think the the thing that really comes across here is that there's a tendency to. I am sure everyone in this room has heard the like. I don't want to hear about problems. I want to hear about solutions. Mm-hmm. Why can't you be more constructive if you have concerns? Raise them, but don't just raise a. We're don't just raise them and oriented. Yeah, God. exactly. Billy parrots that shit all the time, but what he is doing is basically everyone. Every time someone tries to pierce his bubble of delusion with the hard realities of what he's trying to do and what he's up against, mm-hmm. he parrots that back. Don't come to me, come to me with a problem. Come to me with a solution. We believe in solutions here. Solutions, and oriented. then he fucking ghosts. Yeah, like yep. He never. You can't pin him down to make your make these issues like heard. He will just vanish. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I I do appreciate here and what makes him such a contemptible figure is that he's not some dude with a dream out here that he's pursuing. He's he's a narcissist, but more importantly, he's also somebody who just won't fucking listen. Who will just duck every problem and hope that the people he's conned into being around him will solve it while he's. <coughs> you know, passed out on a beach. There is a moment in which the, uh, like, housing planner uh, sends an email to uh, Billy and... Oh, Yoga Bro? Yoga Bro. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, He is, he's in charge of, like, getting all of the, you know, villas, which do not 
happen in all sorts of he he's in charge of trying to figure out housing for these all these I, people well, i keep remembering things and and he sends an email in like the most serious of tones in which he's like this is dangerous what you are doing is dangerous. You need to cut people. Meanwhile, because they're losing so much money, at every point they're offering more incentives for more people and more shit to happen on this island, like more uh, cabanas and and other things that VIP like requ- restaurant VIP service restaurant service, like yeah. other things that require <laughs> the RFID chip. <laughs> oh my god, the RFID chip. The, oh my god the bespoke banking system that mm-hmm. he was going to create for fire festival mm-hmm. <laughs> on an island on an island in which they had already proven they don't have good cell service which means he wouldn't be able to redeem the money and they were just asking people to put those emails were like hey you should put at least three you should, at least three thousand dollars most people are putting ten thousand dollars on these chips it's, and they said that at least someone was ready to set up like one for eight hundred thousand dollars yeah no but by the first uh like I don't remember how long it took, but they had eight like eight hundred thousand dollars from that, or oh, something, okay. cra- yeah, yeah, something yeah, yeah. crazy, something okay. crazy. Like they they uh, or something uh, wild that they had accumulated so much money just by doing these like little incentives. They would just get another pool of money to just burn. Anyway, so this guy reaches out to Billy in the uh, I forget the name of the uh, sort of like his number two, um, the like perfectionist guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like, this is dangerous. We do not have, have, have housing, enough housing. You need to cut people. You need to tell people now what to expect because at no time in this process are they showing pictures of the actual site. The compl- they're always like just pushing more of the promo um, of video content. And so nothing Norman's new key. about the, yeah. uh, from Norma's Tea. Um, and their response to this guy's email was like, Everyone is going to be so happy and have the most smiley faces because you're going to be leading them in the best yoga routines. But they also told him, don't put our investors on these fucking email chains. Oh, That's yeah. the other part of that That's message the other th- is yeah. like, you're spooking people with this shit. Yeah, yeah. DM that. <laughs> and, and so I had a couple like things that I guess I wanted to sort of ask about and one of them was like, what is the, re- I think one of the things that came out of the class action suit is like, what are the responsibility of influencers around, uh, you know, what the products and things that they promote? Because this festival went viral off, off the accounts of, of, you know, the top fashion models of the world of like influencers, um, and, and here you're saying bef- you're saying it went viral not because of the failure. You're saying early on you're early on like the, the reason Kendall Jenner, the Kendall Jenner orange tile thing exactly. Uh, you know uh, the they had ten to fifteen models like on the island doing all and the top like top supermodels in the world doing all this video content um, before for the promotional stuff. So like the thing that I get caught up, caught up on is like, what is the responsibility of like influencers for the products that they promote? Because to them, they're cashing a check, right? Like this is not, they're not Firefest employees. You know, they aren't being clued in on like development process. They aren't being clued in on like, they're told when you get here, you'll have your own villa and whatever. And one of the things that came out of the class action suit is like the, which I think became like a federal 
thing of like influencers needing to or people on on social media needing to disclose like hashtag advertisement <laughs> hashtag ad because mm-hmm. that fixes it <laughs> um, on on posts that are like sponsored or like promotional content and so that was just like a really interesting yeah. um, thing to come out of this is like where where how are like there were like people coming after specifically like the influencers specifically Kendall Jenner um and others for coming after them with suits for you know promoting this alongside um fire media or whatever and so and only one of the influencers came for like uh, Hilda I, I'm forgetting the name is uh escaping me but I believe it's only like one of like the major models or influencers came out and said like yeah, I fucked up. Like, I'm really sorry. Like, put out a statement. It's hmm. from from what I remembered. It was largely everyone else just kind of moved on. I mean, partially that may be if you're named in a lawsuit, don't don't say something publicly about something you're named in a lawsuit for. Yeah. Um, but I remember like the lawyer who you know you know would helped you know file the lawsuit that pushed for you know and the resulting thing be the hashtag ad. You know, he at least like made clear he was like you know I don't think these people were these influencers were malicious, but like there's clearly a problem. Here. Yeah. Um, that said, I don't think you can complete, completely absolve the people who participated in this. Like, I think at the very least, given the egregiousness of what happened here, that like, apo- you know, apologies like are a bare minimum. But I think that also that that's also assuming <clears throat> like what are what are the intentions of the people who are accepting the checks and the stuff in the first place, right? Right. But like, all if if you're at a point where you're just blindly accepting money for things yeah. that can go as well as this, I mean, like, yeah. even even for ourselves, we're like we don't make personal money off like ads that go into our podcast. But when people flag shit that like we're uncomfortable with, like we find ways to track that down. Like mm-hmm. that's just that's part of what we do. Yeah. That's part of what. Like, that's part of being responsible about what you're putting out into the world. And we have definitely have said no about specific ad campaigns yeah, yeah. And, and partner, you know, opportunities. When we were at, uh, at Giant Bomb, remember, like, Jeff Gersman all the time, like, specifically getting ads killed when we get complaints from people or, like, certain things that, like, filled the website because it's like, and that's money. Like, you're killing yep. $1,000 campaigns because it looks fucking bad. And that is... But that's that is part of your responsibility. Yep. But this is, I mean, influencers are not reporters, journalists. But I don't think, like, I don't know what the solutions are. Like, yeah. I don't come out of this going like, well, this is what influencers should do. Because at the end of the day, it actually mostly just comes down to what the influencer feels their own responsibility is and their relationship to the people who make them an influencer in the first place. Yeah. I mean, if we take our own position on like folks in like the YouTube community and stuff like that, like. The audience doesn't necessarily want to hold them accountable. Yeah. And so what is to be done other than hashtag ad? And, and I guess the other thing for me is that that egregiousness is being committed against who were they selling to? Like they're selling to, you know, whatever, like the richest people in America or wherever, you know, people came from to go to this festival. And it still does not like speak to the fact that like, Everything that went wrong was at the fault of you know the this like this fucking CEO not well, and and well, and like I I just I come back to the fact that they were selling a dream or selling a fucking idea that they were not willing to you know put the work into making and when I think about you know people being duped on Instagram. I can't help but to think of all like the thousands, like hundreds of of day laborers 
um, on the island of Exuma that were right. not compensated. Like when I when I'm thinking of who, who actually, yeah, those are yeah, the people yeah, yeah. who actually were fucking duped. And like that's why you know, in all of this, like if anything, I want to see come out of it is is you know, great, we got hashtag advertisement, you know, cool. But I, you know, the 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 people, the Bahamian people of of Exuma, you know, deserve a lot more than that. If, if, I'm, if I might as well uh, put something out there. One thing about this documentary as a piece of filmmaking that uh, really impressed me was what it does with sympathy and what it does to twist your sort of sympathies around at various points. Um, I could barely make it for, through the first, like, ten minutes. I just couldn't stand uh, anybody that I saw on the screen, which I think is the way it's supposed to be, of course. And even, you know, Yoga Bro, it just comes off as, like, okay, here's Yoga Bro. Yeah, All but right. even Yoga Bro was, like, being, like, 70% of his compensation was conscience. being held to, like, after pay. Right, after that, the that's festival. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it, it presents a lot of people as being, like, oh, you know, this is laughable. You know, at the mm -hmm. first few minutes of this, it's like, this is laughable. These people are laughable. And then really does present a very compelling case for why we should actually give a shit about all of these folks. Primarily, of course, the laborers and the restauranteur who lost, what, 50 grand of yeah. her own savings yeah. and was, like, I, almost follow, tearing follow up, up on that. camera. Yeah. There was a GoFundMe after like, these uh, documentaries came out, and I believe she was, uh, they raised, at least at the time I was reading, $70,000 to, like, cover, um, you know, what she had put in to, yeah. to back pay all the laborers that she had employed. So that's not a happy ending. It's, you know, just, you know, that is, you know, go look at healthcare, you know, right. <laughs> symptomatic right. of the fact that we solve things through GoFundMe campaigns. So that's not a happy ending, but it is, you know, for someone who is probably the like the the most effective moment in that whole documentary mm -hmm. is like her last appearance on screen where she clearly doesn't even want to talk about what she ends up talking about and what she lost um it it is it's it's not good but it, it it's it is good <laughs> in yeah. the sense it's not capital g good but it's good that she got some money back as a result of um you know these stories being told. Yeah, I mean, that is that is uh that is good. It it is there are several moments in this documentary that are like Initially presenting people as being laughable or not very serious or not very, you know, not very sympathetic. And then goes around and goes around and goes around. Andy's another perfect example of this. Like the most intensely homophobic and horrific thing that he's asked to do mm -hmm. is like, I almost started bawling. I know everybody's like watching this and laughing about it, but I was just like putting myself in that position. <laughs> like take one for the team, go uh, perform a sex act. It's just like. Yeah, what Danielle's talking about Fuck. is there was there's a point in the documentary where uh uh like 18 trucks of water is being held by um customs uh Bahamian customs because they haven't been paid. Because they haven't right? been paid. And they're asking Billy to pay them like a hundred something thousand dollars um to release the water. And instead Billy calls Andy. Andy is uh, an events uh, coordinator uh, who gets brought on midway through the production um, to help out because things are going wrong. And when he had worked with Billy, he had worked with on Billy a previous in the bullshit venture. Was it Magnesis or was it another previous? Magnesis. 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 And had uh, and, and it kind of right. been hoodwinked by Billy, in which like the you know the, the doc goes into the, the ways that uh, uh, Magnesis went wrong, but like the front facing stuff where. Um, this organizer was putting together lecture series and wine tastings. Like mm -hmm. he fully fell for the 
like Billy McFarlane sales person who can spit up a story and pitch. And and this dude did get paid and like believed that Billy, like a lot of people, was like a young, like, you know, next big thing entrepreneur, which is why like as you're setting up, uh, he was willing to, you know, he got caught up in the mm-hmm. the Billy narrative as when he gets asked this big thing. Um. So like disclaimer, I'm going to be talking about uh, a sex act really quick. Um, but, uh, so Billy calls Andy and says, we need you to take one for the team. That's verbatim. Um, (laughs) and says that we need you to go down to customs and speak with the, I think it's the head of customs. Um, and we need you to like perform oral sex. Well, he says to suck dick or something, but it basically asks him to go perform oral sex um, in order to release this water. Um, and Andy's like, okay. And like, and he says, he's like, I went home, I showered, I mouthwash. put a little mouthwash in, yeah. and I got ready to go. And I was just like, I, am I really doing this? After 20 years of a career of being, you know, a, a successful events coordinator, I'm like, this is where I'm at. Like, okay, I guess this is just where I'm at. And it's like, it's terrifying, like what you were saying, Daniel. Well, it it does a, not, to be clear, yeah. he does not end up doing, he gets there and the guy's like, you do not have to do that. Like, I well, will release the water. I think that's water. revealing too. Like, yes. I, yeah. like, the story's bullshit. Billy just asked him to ask and to like put put Andy King through this fucking ringer. And the, the part of that story that I find really deeply fucking sinister it sounds to me like Andy gets there and the customs guy like, man, no, we just need to make a deal. I need to make sure that I'm at the <laughs> front of the line. Yeah. Yeah. To get, yeah, exactly. And not this even right now. Is... Just like put me at the front of the line. Like you said, Danielle, like yeah. pay me when you, when you get your money, make sure I'm the first one to get paid. Yeah, and Andy's so clear about like, he was, he was a nice guy. And I just want to make <sighs> super clear. We're not disparaging any kind of sex work or, or anybody who right. does that no. sort of thing. This is just, this is something that Billy, the piece of shit expected the gay dude to just do or to be able to do. No. Yeah, he like, said it's, you're it's our flaming. It's sexual coercion. He like, he like it, specifically like, says like you're our f- flaming gay leader or something like it, that. It's so homophobic. Like this is so intensely homophobic of a thing yeah. to ask. It's yeah, it's absolutely right. it's flabbergasting. It's the sadistic like you know I don't have any answers for this, but let me see if I can get Andy. Uh, I'll just fuck with Andy uh, this way. Yeah. Um, it's it's awful. I think one of the reasons that. A lot of these people come across as clowns, uh, Danielle, is also because of the weird amount of behind-the-scenes footage uh, we have here, including stuff that you cannot believe they left the camera running for. <laughs> well, like, unbelievable. Tor- toward the end, there's a part where they're like, hey, what's up, fam? We're all gathered together in <laughs> Billy's, Billy's penthouse apartment after he's been released from uh, custody. Oh he's out on God. bail. And we're just going to commit some fraud. Uh, here we're we are going to do a direct marketing fraud scam right here. Uh, keep those cameras running. I mean, we even get the the bit where he where Billy calls up the rest of the team and is like, "Well, I'm not firing you." This is on. This is uh, calling up the uh, the through, fire. through the whole right. this process through this whole process. There's been a whole like app developer team that's just been working on the fucking app that was the idea in the first place. Right, because the whole thing was supposed to be like, we're building hype for this app. That's the entire thing. Yeah. The festival is like, is part of a promotional scheme. Yeah. Ah. (coughs) Mm. I wouldn't call that fraud. (laughs) Right, yeah. uh, No, no, no. I would call that... False advertising. Mm, False advertising. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Listen, Samsung. <laughs> Sam, Samsung is still what's the exact? He's like Samsung phones. <laughs> they got phones blowing up. Still making phones. Off. They're still making phones. John <laughs> um, rule. But the, the, he hasn't basically. He tells them basically, you're not fired, but I'm not. But we're out of money, so no one's going to get paid anymore. So you'll have to quit basically, which means that they won't be paid unemployment. That's his scam. That's his. Yeah. That's his. And he's like, well, I don't know gift. about. And somebody raises that question. Yeah, to this. Um, so somebody recorded this 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 yes. phone call, this like video call, it's like a Skype call. Yeah. Um, and as Billy's saying, you know, we're not going to fire you, but we're not going to pay you. And they're like, that like means we're not going to get unemployment, yep. and we won't get severance. And you know, and he's like, well, I don't know about the laws of that, but you know, we're a family. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, uh, and I'll say that the reason why we have so much behind-the-scenes footage is, I think, in part because it was co-produced right. by Jerry sense. Media. Um, Jerry Media, throughout the whole process, was you know also hired to do all this behind-the-scenes footage um, for for the festival itself. They yeah, Billy explicitly was like film everything. Yeah, exactly. And you Which... and there's grimy shit. I mean, just like the just fucking most nauseating, you know things being asked and talked about and uh the way that they you know uh it's just like the way they talk to women the, the way, way they talk to women the demands. way that they try to to ask the models to to do certain scenes that weren't actually going to be filmed um and it's just it's super super just gross uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, a pretty remarkable documentary. The the last thing I'll say here is, and this is sort of left in the background, uh, but this guy should have been sniffed out before mm -hmm. any of this happened. This guy, like the we referred to it earlier, it's established that this guy was kind of infamous in some circles for his previous company, Magnesis, uh, which was a fancy credit card slash social <laughs> club for millennials. Oh, Jesus. Um, but you that know thing when you move you know to New York. And you have no friends, so you get a credit card to hang out with people. You know that feel? Is this another charge in your bank account that you need to toss about? <laughs> no, absolutely. Oh, wow. Not, not even I be could twist. be duped. That would be, it would be unbelievable, but, Natalie, if you were like, she just pulled it out. Pulled out the Magnesis card, yeah. Clank. It's physical. But it's in this, a metal in this card. time of, but, of social media, kids millennials these days they just want physical things they want a metal credit card <laughs> but it was like it was like the model was like costco but for experiences yeah right where right, you would be right. able to like this credit card would give you access to uh all sorts of like perks that like would you be able to get for well below market rate and when people tried to redeem those perks none of them ever came through for whatever reason the restaurant was never booked tickets weren't available for the show so nobody ever got their perks for paying into this thing it was a scam billy walked away from that flaming wreckage unscathed and was allowed to continue doing business which is i think increasingly a theme of this podcast right here is like a lot of these a lot of things don't just happen they they have antecedents and usually it involves people letting things slide well in advance right. until something catastrophic happens and like and the city and like so many of our and and uh cereal and so many other things we've spoken about there are always people on the margins who end up taking the brunt of mm -hmm. the pain of whatever this catastrophic and often entertaining fuck up is mm -hmm. it's super important to remember that off to the side if yeah if he'd brought off even a mediocre music festival yep. and rich people hadn't been inconvenienced but none of those workers got paid 
there sure wouldn't be a documentary on yeah. it. Yeah, think about if that rainstorm hadn't happened. Yep. If the yep. if the rainstorm hadn't happened, it might have just been, you know, not that great. When they brought up the Woodstock thing, I thought about that a lot. Yeah. Um, they they brought up the fact that you know Woodstock is celebrated as this iconic, you know, moment of peace and and uh, music bringing people together, and nobody talks about you know the people that died or uh, the people that, you know, went without water or food and, like, that the fact that there was, you know, the, the land there was destroyed by trash and, and you know, there was no proper, wa- like, human waste disposal and everything like that. And I thought about that a lot because this... Somebody says, like, this could be that. I think it's Andy or someone says, uh, you know, fire Festival could be that. Like, everyone could just ignore all the all the all the shit behind it and just remember this like iconic moment in, in hit in music history or whatever. And okay. Iconic move. Yeah. Also (laughs) (laughs) the fact that we're doing this for blink. You know, I used to love blink. I, you know, same blink. Two is a band. (laughs) And and they dropped out actually they dropped out a few days before like a day or two before there were other weren't there other major laser who actually uh uh jillionaire uh from major laser is interviewed uh in this documentary as well um i i think lil yachty was on it i forget Mm -hmm. who else but yeah so when we talk about Yeah. yeah when we talk about iconic music moments you know blink what are you saying about Ray Shrem? Like, listen, I'm rip. Honestly, they broke up. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of. I'm looking at this list here. There's not. This is like the Sahara tent. But remember at, who got picked to 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 book the axe was just a random dude. Right. Twenty three year old in the fire media right. office, and then one of the one of the one of the things that comes up. There's like a, it's it's a small aside. It's during just one of the we're filming everything. Like twenty is like, years old like, or twenty one maybe yeah, at the time. Like, I've never booked anything before. I'm a programmer or whatever. Um, <laughs> But then, but then there's like some sort of a side where it's pointed out that Fire was playing 2x market rate for all of these bands. Yes. Like the bands took Fire, they understood that Fire, they knew Fire was probably bullshit. But if someone comes up to you, yeah. even if it smells a little stinky and they say, we'll pay you twice what we normally get. You say, sure. Well, Am I getting that money up front? No. But like, I might end up with 2x? Sure. Let's let's see where this goes. Also, that's what happens when you're doing something with like eight weeks lead time. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's the other part yep. of this is their right. tour dates are locked in over a year in advance for the most part. And like there can be some wiggle room, but you're not getting major acts at eight weeks notice without a massive pile of cash somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which me, which is why you end up with a really eclectic mix of eclectic headliners. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, right? It's like uh, get yeah. Rob on that like, social team. He's ready to spin this. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty also, wild. Um, oh God, never mind. <laughs> yeah, we could keep yeah. going. There's a million small well, details yeah. we could go oh, it's, over. This that's the thing. This is such a delicious and dense uh, documentary. I highly recommend it. Um, it is just I thought I'd watch a few minutes of it and then maybe finish the rest of the day. It was addictive because uh, this was the third movie I saw yesterday. Oh God, uh, that's right. Glass, yeah. Serenity, and Fire. Fire was the best <laughs> thing I saw. Uh, so we're going to take a little break. God knows after yesterday's movie watching, I needed a little break. Uh, so you can you can join me on a, on a little uh, mid-episode siesta. And we're going to be back with the second half of Waypoints.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Okay, so um, Patrick, Austin walks in, Patrick just throws his headphones down and just walks away. And I think Patrick my heater was just... Off. Patrick was just outraged. I mean, Patrick started thinking about it once again. When Billy is released on bail and starts running a scam again, again? The, video, the, the cameras are running. Who should show up but Chuck Schumer's press secretary? Yep. yep. <laughs> Who's like, don't get me on cam. And they just have <laughs> him on shoot cam. Shoot the camera. It's, um, what else? Also. It's 420. It's 420. Shout outs. Yeah. Um. Yeet. Um, sh- it's 420. Do you know where Ja Rule is? <laughs> yeah. Can we talk? Can we just talk a little bit about Ja Rule in sure. this? What the fuck? Ja Rule what the has fuck? never been relevant. <laughs> what? One song. Well, excuse me? You're right. You're right, Kato. He did have one song that he re released four times with four different female vocalists. You're right. He did that. <laughs> um. I would like Fucking to ja rule. Fuck out of here. Can we he can just... go one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do one. He did. He, he only had one. one. He can do, do one. one. I don't even do know one. what it he is. He can do Spin one. On it. He can do he one. He can do a runner. Do a runner is a different thing. I've been uh, since informed. And then the 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 last thing we should touch on here, real quick, is that dude who yes. is one of the fire festival attendees. Yeah. Who's like, man, things were pretty sketchy there oh. at night. So, and uh-huh. then goes on without missing a beat to tell us about he, he and his buddy slashing tents to pieces and pissing on things. So, the when they get to Firefest, the influencers, the horde of influencers, they uh, <laughs> uh, uh, chaos breaks after they've all been, you know, kept at a restaurant, getting drunk for like six hours, and then they're released onto God, the grounds. They, they should have stayed, stayed there. Um, I would also like to note that the tents were left over from uh, a hurricane. They were like, they were the tents were like hurt. Yeah, uh, uh, like completely. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's just a side note. But this one influencer that was interviewed uh, uh, during the, the during the doc was. Um, talking about you know what happened when the night fell, and people were saying you know. People just like as soon as they realized that resources were limited, people just kind of took off and grabbed what they could. People were grabbing, you know, multiple mattresses that had were just laid out on the on the on the floor on the ground. And this and this guy says that, you know, things got really scary at night and we wanted to we wanted to make sure that nobody was going to be around us. And so what me and my buddies did was we decided to slash all the mattresses in the tents around us and piss on them so that we would be safe. And you see footage of him with a fucking selfie stick, like running from tent to tent, 
And it's like, it's just, it's the most nauseating thing to listen to. Like this guy just, just like proudly talking well, about how he was. Super revealing about like the survivalist mentality too, right? Like survivalists tend to be like fucking rich dudes and all this shit. And it's because mm. you got these assholes thinking about, well, what would I do in some sort of social breakdown? And the answer is. I would take what I could and burn the rest and fuck everyone else. And so the guy preemptively starts destroying the campsite under the notion that like he's going to carve out some sort of fire fiefdom uh, to survive this festival apocalypse. Pissing on it. Yeah. Pissing on Doing it. Doing a pee-pee. Like, it w- it's not just I'm going to cut these tents so people can't sleep in there. It's like, I got to be real careful. I got to start peeing on shit. Which... He says he's like all the com- camaraderie fell apart, and then we started peeing. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. I wonder why the fucking camaraderie of the fucking one percent fell apart. Oh. Anyway, right. I don't anyway. think there's anything else to say here. Uh, just real quick shout outs to my guy who was running the new scams with Billy, rocking Magnesis and yep. fire gear. That's it. Who nobody had ever seen before. Yeah, I don't know like, where he came from. Nobody with the in the, with the earpods. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so. I don't think there's anything else to say. Just know that going into this, there's some horrifying shit. Um, the one thing that we we talked about on the break is you know uh, uh, the way that Billy and and Ja Rule were asking models to like. There's this, there's this one scene where uh, the model, it's like nighttime, very dark. There's no cameras on. There's like one person with like a video camera and they're asking, you know, Chantal Jeffries, who's a famous supermodel, to, they're like describing the scene. They're like, we're going to run and jump into the pool and then you guys are going to jump in after us and it's going to be, it's going to be great. And, and she, she's just so visibly uncomfortable. And that speaks to so much of like what I feel like the, the promotional shoot must have been like of just these, you know, models on an island with all these fucking gross ass dudes asking them to like do scenes that and, 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 and the guy says he's like, we're not going to record like one of the guys is like, we don't have video cameras. We're not going to record this. And she's just like, I don't want to do it's just fucking gross. So just know there's a lot as for all the like delicious fuck the one percent in this. There's also a lot of gross shit. So, yeah, take it what you will. It's an interesting documentary. It's worth seeing. Worth seeing. So, uh. Speaking of like comedies of errors there you and go. wondering where nice the authorities fun. were uh, to prevent <laughs> things from getting to this point, uh, Patrick, uh, it looks like your your uh, waypoint this week is fuck Saints fans. What is that? No, is, is that your waypoint this week? Please, Saints fans have a legitimate grievance. No, it's a uh, piece uh, over at Deadspin um, from uh, Barry Pachetsky called uh, "Football Needs uh, Blown Calls." The the Sunday will be. Uh, is the Super Bowl uh, between the uh, Rams and fuck the Patriots. Um, and mm-hmm. the more than likely, uh, the team that actually should be there is the New Orleans Saints um, in the uh, NFC Championship game uh, from a couple of weeks back. Um, there was a moment towards the end of the game. Um, uh, if you uh, sort of aren't familiar with what the setup was, um, is that the the uh, New Orleans Saints, um, with uh, very little time left to go in the fourth quarter of the game, I think maybe over a little over two minutes, I forget the exact amount of time that was left, um, 
were uh, knocking on the door of getting uh, another, could get another touchdown, could get a field goal. Um, and, and basically, uh, they threw a pass, and the cornerback, if you think of how a defense, if you aren't familiar with how a defense is structured in the NFL, there's like a, a front line, and then there are cornerbacks who are like the next layer to cover wide receivers, and then like the the last line of defense is a safety. So there's kind of like three levels to to a defense, and the, the cornerbacks are that middle, and they're usually the ones that are covering wide receivers who are usually the, the players that are catching balls. And in this case, uh, a the, the cornerback... Um, just leveled the wide receiver, just 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 laid into him blatantly, which you're allowed to hit a wide receiver once they've hit the ball. I mean, there's technical rules that we don't need to get into, but before a player can catch the ball, uh, has caught the ball, you're not allowed to just like lay them out. And this player does this blatantly and flagrantly, and there was there was no call uh, made on this. Had there been a pass interference or defensive player called, there's various ways it could have gone. The ball would have been put all the way up to a yard before the touchdown. And in football, you can do, uh, you can just kneel. You don't actually have to run a play. You hike the ball and the quarterback just kneels and you can take time off the clock. And what the, the Saints could have done was eaten off practically all of the clock, kicked a, a super easy field goal, unless you're Cody Parkey. Um, and then uh, the Rams would have gotten the ball back with a couple of seconds left and probably unable to do anything and the Saints go to the Super Bowl. Um, and there was a whole backlash to this because you can't th- – there's no countermeasure in football for a call that is not made. You can throw challenge flags to have the referees look at a, call, a flag that is thrown. Not every play can be challenged. That's a whole other bag of things. And so this piece from, from Barry sort of argues that football needs more – Blown calls that football, like a lot of sports that are increasingly televised, scrutinized, and have technology applied to them, that where do you find the fine line on a lo- having a sport played by the rules while also realizing part of sports is that rules are, they're not suggestions, but they're more or less to keep things in line. And are you, do they, the technology to double check things down to, you know, a billionth of a second to see individual finger movements. Um, at what point is that sort of going against the spirit or is that upholding rules in general? And Barry sort of argues that, well, football, like a lot of sports, are headed in a direction where you are constantly scrutinizing every little thing that's happening and maybe that's not a healthy direction for the sport. And this applies to, this in this specific instance, it applies to football, but, you know, you take your pick, uh, baseball, you know, any sport in general is, is sort of often struggling with this exact sort of setup. Totally. Um, and I think that, like, part of this is just one of the things that introduced or that, that interests me around this is I think I have thought a lot in the last few years about the power of ambiguity in games in general. Um, and sports is this great space to work through that in. Um, you know, there's there's always been uh, a, a long running debate over what counts as a catch in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And they recently mm-hmm. simplified those rules. But even those rules are not that clear. Right. Like so a catch is defined currently as control. Of, the catcher has the control of the ball. But two feet uh, or uh, a foot and another body part are down but with the control of the ball or just another body part. Right. Uh, and then. A football move, which is something like a third step, 
reaching or extending for the line uh, to, to gain or the ability to have performed a football move. If they had the ability to perform the football move and didn't, but they still have the ability to do it and also have two feet down in control of the ball, then that is a catch. And this is the simplified rule for what a catch is. Bodies are ambiguous. Bodies do things. I'm going to talk about more about bodies later in this episode. Bodies are com complex machines or complex organisms, complex things, objects. Um, and sports and games like often need clear rules. And drama happens when those two things collide. When the complexity of bodily action or of action uh, strikes the, the demands of simplicity and clarity of a rule. And when that goes bad for a team, it's there's pass interference that happens that goes uncalled because a person didn't see it or because the rules of what pass interference are are not clear. This is not a case where this is definitely yes, an interference. The, oh, the, this is, the, if someone had to, seen to be, it, 100%. To be, to be clear, like but, the, the, the cornerback in question who committed the, the, the non-called foul admitted after the game, I laid him out yeah, of course. because he was making – a, a, a tactical decision that had he, that yes. catch been allowed to be made, it was going to be a touchdown. And so he would have rather taken the foul, moved it up, and then their team at least gets a shot as opposed to a yes. complete fatal. So like he was actually making, he was like, I'm going to take the foul because that we can live to fight another day, even if our chances are low. And then the call didn't get, didn't, didn't come, but the, the cornerback actually absolutely fessed up and said, no, that was a tactical decision after I made a mistake. Yes. And so, all of those things together are, for me, good for sports because the version of this that plays like, let's say, like a late 90s video game where every where there is no room for ambiguity and everything just works the way it works or it, it doesn't work because it's a miss, like, is just less interesting for sports for me. I think that's, that's part of the case that kind of comes out of... Uh, the the deadspin piece, right? Like that that yes, you want a game where where players are um, treated fairly and the rules are fair to all participants, um, but that there should be, but that but that you can't just make everything uh, uh, kind of challengeable. That not everything should go to the replay booth because doing that would end up introducing a whole new realm of, of problems that kind of that kind of under un, uh, undermine the entirety of any given sport right that like once you start going any play can be challenged let me tell you any play can be challenged you can find an excuse to call back most plays someone's a little bit off the line of scrimmage or there's a little bit more contact and there's there supposed are fouls to be committed on every players. single play especially Constantly. in football it's just if you if you go back you can and that's the you know the game that, you know, any Rams, you know, fan has tried it. I was like, look, like, go back two plays. Like, there was, you know, helmet to helmet or uh, a horse collar tackle. Like, you can always do that. I think the question, like, this piece that gets to the heart is, like, how much is human error, like, actually critical to the enjoyment and the heightened theatrics right. of a game? And as technology allows us to reduce human error in that both the players have to act more robotic and uh, uh, and then the the actual enforcement of rules is more one to one. Like, do we actually start losing elements of what makes the game fun, even if moment to moment your team got screwed or you didn't get the exact call that goes your way? Because I actually did not know that um, uh, that the instant replay when it was introduced was then legislated out. They voted it out. It came in from uh, nineteen. 
it started in 1986 after the Bears uh, won <laughs> won the Super Bowl. And, like, one of the more famous incidents up front was, I forget the exact play that went against the Bears, but it was a Bears-Packers game where, like, a touchdown, a Bears, or the, the Packers had scored a touchdown late in the game, gave them the lead. It was called back upon instant replay. Um, and that set the ground for, in 1992, the, the league voting out instant replay. And it didn't come back until, like, eight years later. Um, due to a, bu- a variety of calls that got missed that the, the league, uh, or, you know, fans, the league was upset over. But, like, I figured once it was there, it was just there. The idea that, like, instant replay, given how critical it is to, like, our, like, modern understanding of the sport is wild because especially, apparently what was happening was that f- uh, television cameras were showing instant replay, but instant replay could not be used on the field to interpret the play that you were watching in front of you, which is like mm-hmm. what? Yeah, that that's good. That was gonna be the the interesting uh, thing that this uh, article kind of mentions in passing is is the like concept of of like slow mo replays and things like that. And I was just wondering like what your perspective is on on like how like the slowing even if it's like an instant replay but like the the way that we've been able to like slow it down by the like the like the millisecond to like thoroughly pull it apart and like is that like is that ruining it i guess it 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 kind of is because because austin you're talking about like the the like the beauty of this like ambiguity and how like football thrives in in this sort of ambiguity and the idea that you know we have this like stop like this advanced technology that's not even really being you i mean i'm like super i don't watch a lot of football so i'm kind of curious as to the only time i see a lot of stop like that type of stuff is in baseball um where i think Mm -hmm. it's a lot more cut and dry um so yeah um i feel like that aspect of it actually only amplifies how confusing football is like should because it just be taken out again no like it's weird or limited like can we like instead of stopping it by that like like minute amount should we just be like here it is like in its in the video again like here's the video again rather than the like the there there is the thought that yeah like the analysis what if, like the one of the ideas that like is like how should football rules work how should rules and football work is often like what would the average person sitting in a bar like feel like they're just looking at it. They see it on the screen. Like that's you generally want that to be, especially when you're balancing between entertainment and sport. And one of the proposals has been like, well, maybe you just don't slow it down is that you just have to watch it in real time and you make, yes, you get to watch it again. You get different angles, but you're generally only watching in real time as opposed to getting down to the millisecond to see how like a a pinky shifts or like an an arm goes like you can't catch it in real time. Then maybe it's not worth, catching or that's when you start the slow erosion of not only the tempo of a sport and and football is is you know you know like any other sport is is often built on tempo and being able to establish a rhythm and things like instant replay you know sort of get in the middle of that the 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 thing that ends up being tough is that like there are so many cases where one as a fan you go oh thank god that that turn was over or that call was overturned because of the instant replay or even just as a spectator 
clarity does emerge for certain plays. There was that, what was that, uh, Pat, well, I forget which game this even was, where there was a pass. Was this the Patriots the, game? This was the Patriots game last week. Are you thinking the, the bounce, week. The, the punt? The bounce. So, the, the, no, 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 not that. Oh. No, I'm thinking about literally just this past weekend or two weekends ago where there was that pass that went right through dude's hands and he didn't touch it, which means that it was not. Yeah, no, yeah, this uh, is, we're talking about the same thing. So it was, it was the Patriots. Okay, pa- was that a punt? Patriots Chiefs where the, uh, the ball was being kicked away. By the Chiefs, and when you are receiving, yes, when, you, when, yes, when yes, you're yes. receiving okay. the ball, it was Julian Edelman. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, when you're receiving a ball in football off of a punt, um, you can catch it and you can run with it. And if you you can uh, call fair catch, which is that nobody is allowed to touch you. And if you catch the ball, the ball is placed at the spot of where you caught it. Um, but if you like, because you don't want to get fucking hit. Right. By the way, like that's people are like, running right. full, if someone is full char- sprint down a football field, and yes. you're looking, <laughs> looking up to catch this ball. Um, so that's to, to try and protect the player. Um, but if you go, if you call fair catch, um, if you at, or are going to attempt to go upfield, if you touch that ball, it is not. It is now your ball, and that now becomes a fumble, and that can be just brushing up against a finger. It can brush up against a, a shoulder. If it touches you, the other team can grab that, and it is now their ball. And what happened? In this instance, and this was actually one of this would be an argument for instant replay, right? Where right, that's what I'm making. In, yes. in real time, the way this ball bounces, and just the luck of the fucking Patriots, like any other team, <laughs> that ball hits your shoulder, hits your finger. In real time, the way it bounces, and he goes down to scoop the ball up. It, I mean, it in real time, of course it hits him. It looks like that ball changes direction. It, it's hit him. It is clearly going to be the other team, the Chiefs' ball. But when you slow it down to the millisecond and you watch it, it doesn't it doesn't touch him. It it just barely grazes by the finger and his shoulder, but it does not touch. It does not meaningfully change direction on the player. And that's an instance where the the right call was made because of a five minute, ten minute theatrics over watching exactly what technology allows. Um, and so that yeah, that did end up making the right call and. And also, in some ways, now that it's so ingrained in the game, like the theatrics of waiting for that call, I will admit mm-hmm. is kind of fucking fun. I I, yeah. I actually, in some ways, love the drama of like watching the seven different replays, watching Joe Buck or someone going, Arguing. "Oh, now that angle, like, oh, that one, it clearly <laughs> shows." Um, yeah, yeah. I, and I kind uh, of, I kind of live for that part of it, um, if only because the. I think. Go ahead. The shitty thing in football is actually how often refs are throwing flags on, like, just in general. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're, sometimes they get really penalty happy and start calling all sorts of the incidental contact you see on different plays that you could, you know, it's really away from the action, doesn't really matter. And sometimes referees are just flagging that stuff right and left and they start calling the game really tight. And when you do that, the game gets really, really slow. But what Patrick, you're talking about is I think something like people complain about the refs, but. I think people live for this yeah. shit. I think people live for the challenge in, you know, the final three minutes of a game that's going to turn possession. Like, the long pause. It's like fucking, rea- it's, it's a fucking game show at that point. Well, we're going to go to commercial, get more beer and snacks, people, because <laughs> when you get back, you're going to watch this man try to take this this, this fumble uh, for, you know, 20, like, you see this replay 20 or 30 times. And we're going to analyze every frame. It'll be great. I think it's kind of fun. 
Um, it's forensics, like it's it's like a it's like a CSI episode for football, right? Like it adds this question of mystery that was missing from the game to be. And when you're watching it so, with God. people, that part is so yes. much fun to be yes. yelling at each other, like no, 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 come on! Like the, I re, I thoroughly enjoy that aspect of the the entertainment value of the sport that is afforded by the instant replay. <laughs> And well, it gets so law and order. Right? Yeah. Right. Like yeah, yeah, that yeah. allows you to actually yes. participate in this activity where these hyper rich, basically <laughs> mutants, uh, have gone out onto this field. Okay, and let's <laughs> not call them mutants. And a lot of them are athletes super. are basically mutants. They have mutations. They have certain types of muscles and certain types of muscle fibers that allow them mm-hmm. to do this at this level. They're not X Men mutants. They're not That's pli- right. I, like they're not like more. The Daniel lions. only watches Blood Ball. <laughs> the term okay. mutant does not mean what video games have made us think it. No, means. no, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I meant it in like the less than human way, not the. They're more than human. Okay. Basically, Olympic athletes, professional athletes are like they are not the same. As you know, even well, like Michael I, Phelps I generally did, has mutations, right? Like he, from his hands and his feet yeah. are like a particular. They're oh, wow. they're but, like slightly wet. <laughs> like, Sick. Yeah. These are tiny, Fish minuscule man. things. Is he in the Unbreakable Universe? <laughs> he's in the monster. Was no, he's in the, the dark. The, the MCU. He's in the dark universe. He's the reverse uh, of David Dunn because he swims like a motherfucker. He does. It's he's the true. Of David Dunn. He's wow. watching Unbreakable. He's like, there had to be someone like me for it's someone true. like David. Anyway. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Um, Don't get into a fight with him, though. He just, like, falls the fuck over. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I guess like has the game just shifted? Is is football in 2019 just a different game because of like of technology? Like it's just I mean, football has changed so many times. Sports change over the time, partially because rules changes, partially right. because of technological changes in terms of like equipment. Uh, you know, yeah. there is there is the introduction of better safety equipment certainly yeah. changed the way football was played yeah. over the long over its long history and yeah. and my and also the re- of drug use yeah sure development also of drug changed. use but also the re- the development of uh, research into things like CTE and uh, yeah. that changed rules to protect players more though I, I still don't know necessarily enough. And I think well, and a, I, a the, arguably, how can you actually legislate question. violence out of a violent sport? Uh, you know, a, you could, good luck, yeah. yeah. But even but even things like the introduction of passing to football is a big yeah. deal. Like, real passing is, like, something that didn't exist at football's origins. People yeah. invented that. Um, and so, yeah, I think, like, we are going to continue to see it. I think that's true for every sport, right? We, t- we already yeah. talked about uh, the John Boyce and Felix Biederman MMA doc, which is, like, literally a history of a sport developing yes. and changing. Um, Although weirdly, MMA professionals have the fewest; they are the most like you and me, is what I'm saying. Huh. Like they actually most John Jones, not well, notwithstanding, and Brock Lesnar probably not notwithstanding. Sure. They are they actually are mostly like normal human beings because fighting is still a very niche thing. Is that so? In other words, the athletes aren't aren't being attracted to it, right? The, the kind of super athletes who you're saying are like literally have physical mutations. Are would prefer to go play basketball or football. They'll make so much more money, right and they're not going to get their brains broken. Right. Well, football. They football. Will. They, will. they will. They will in but, football. Absolutely. But they're not going to get kicked in the face actively by right. someone whose Soccer. intention is exactly <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yes. exactly. Right. I, honestly, and there are a lot of like those types of athlete, really almost superhuman athletes who have come to MMA, and with you know plenty of training, but less training than a lot of other people, and been able to kind of mop up the floor. Right. With drugs. That's interesting. So it is an interesting and weird thing. I think it's just because the sport is newer. Right. 
So anyway, that's my two cents. MMA, a real sport for real humans. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was the thesis of that documentary, especially yeah. by the end of it, basically. Um, the, the Gracie's notwithstanding. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, I don't have a good segue. Um, Bodies. I just wanted Bo- body to... slamming into each other. Listen. Mutations. Mutations. <laughs> Mutations. Mutations. A little bit. That's it. Sure. That dude sure. has a special thing. That's in there. Special bodies. Special bodies. Austin, why don't you just take us into this? <laughs> okay. Rooster Teeth has a new show. Uh, Rooster Teeth has a new animated show called Genlock. The first two episodes are out. They came out on January 26th. Uh, and the next episode, I think, hits on Saturday or Sunday, episode three. Uh, it is an interesting thing. It is a mech show. Um, it is a 30-minute uh, animated series, CG, but, like, kind of trying to look vaguely 2D. Like It's kind of Dragon Prince-y. It has, like, a Dragon Prince vibe. It's uh, It also looks a lot like, or it looks similar to, the character design is much different, obviously, <clears throat> but it's a similar technological thing to Ruby, R-W-B-Y, which was Rooster Teeth's last big uh, animated show, uh, though it's a different directorial staff on this. The original director of Ruby was this guy named... Monty Ohm, who became famous in like the mid 2000s or internet famous and in gaming circles uh, for doing these videos called Dead Fantasy, which were dead or alive characters versus Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts characters. It was kind of like machinima. And while he was doing that, Rooster Teeth was gaining popularity for machinima also for the old Red versus Blue series of comedy videos, which were all shot in Halo. Um, that were kind of about the absurdity of war because, you know, Halo is a series that's like red team versus blue team in multiplayer, right? And so it was, it was, it developed its own weird mythology and everything else. Um, and so when Ruby blew up, uh, I think part of what was surprising was that it had a lot of Monty Ohms, uh, who, who has since died um, from an allergic reaction during, during a surgery, actually. Um, but that show consistently had these really, uh, well choreographed fight sequences that Monty was kind of famous for, but also grew a following for uh, a lot of the stuff that you think of something like Kingdom Hearts uh, people love. Mm-hmm. The world, the world building, mm-hmm. characters, friendship, mm-hmm. rivalries, mm-hmm. like love interests, mm-hmm. all your favorite stuff. Love Mickey it. is there and Mickey's on no. weird weapons and like <laughs> big confrontations. Um, uh, and so when I learned that Rooster Teeth was going to make a mech show, I thought that was a pretty interesting maneuver. Um, mechs are in a, a bit of a, of a resurgence right now. Uh, we talked about this in our Ava episode or Evangelion episode. We kind of set the table for what mecha anime is and for what kind of what that specific subgenre of television uh, and, and animation program is. So you can go listen to that if you want like an overall history. But what I will say is that in the last year, I mean, honestly, even since, <laughs> I'd say in the last couple of years maybe, um, there's been a bit of a renaissance for the genre with things like Gridman this year that did really well or that was like well, super well received or Darling in the Franks, which I've, I've heard is terrible, but which did super well. Um, or even we're in the 40th anniversary of Gundam this year. That's been around wow. since 1979. Uh, so it has been 40 years since the original Gundam uh, existed. And with that, they've released shows uh, in the last few years like Iron-Blooded Orphans and Gundam Thunderbolt. And they have a new movie coming out this year uh, in a couple of weeks, actually, in mid-February. And all of those have been like mixed to good. Um, they have serious issues, each of them. But it has, it has meant that for someone like me, who likes mechs a lot... I've had a lot of options on my plate. And so 
if Genlock had hit four years ago, I would have like, well, give me that because we're in a bit of a, of a desert for, for content. But instead, I went into this fairly skeptical. Uh, and I do that despite the fact that this is a star-studded cast. Um, this is the first time that Richard Smith has worked with SAG-AFTRA uh, voice actors, um, meaning like it is not just what you would think of as kind of amateur or starter, you know, people just starting their careers in voice acting. These are people who are not just famous voice actors, but truly famous actor actors. Uh, it is, it is, for instance, a co-production with uh, Michael B. Jordan's. What's the name of his of his company? I've already forgotten the name of it. Um, Outer Society Productions, and he plays the lead role. Also in this in this show, uh, Dakota Fanning, Macy Williams. Um, who else do I know from this? Uh, Asia Kate Dillon, David Tennant plays a key scientific role. Um, those are the people I know from this list. I don't know if anybody else knows anybody else here. I do not. Excuse me, I do not. Um, and we should note really quickly, uh, friend of the site, and uh, honestly, like a, a personal. Mentor to me, Evan Narcis, uh, also uh, ended up doing some writing and punch up and stuff on the show, which I didn't know about uh, until literally prepping for this show. I knew that he was like knew the company and did some did some stuff with the company, but I didn't realize that he was straight up like helping with the production or the writing. Um, and so I went into it um, like, OK, lots of star power, mm-hmm. a genre I personally love for a million reasons and a style of animation that often misses for me honestly this style of cg stuff especially with mechs often misses because it doesn't have the the kind of clean lines and action of traditional 2d animation and it's a lot of like pushing cg things around really fast to get uh to get to make things like really exciting but there isn't often great choreography that goes along with that um, and so that kind of is what happened with Ruby for me is like, even as an action show, it just like didn't do it for me that much. Um, and so I was surprised when in the first few episodes, it sets up some pretty big questions and tries to dig into, or at least, and this is part of one of the questions we'll get to is like, is it digging into them or is it using them as a spice? Um, ideas like transhumanism and uh, refugee crisis uh, and even things like, uh, and this is like a small, tiny half spoiler for the upcoming episode or tease for the upcoming episode, uh, things like media, uh, or like media violence and, and desensitization to violence by way of media, by way of the media. Um, and I like, I've now watched three episodes, um, and I'm still not sure where I come down on it. I, I'm having a good time. I'll probably keep watching it for now, but I'm not ready to be like, it's Max. It's awesome. Ra, go watch it. <laughs> which, which is maybe a surprise. To I am. Maybe. Are you, Rob? Yeah, Rob, Austin, loves I think it. I think it is ridiculous the degree to which you are underrating this. Yeah, I'm. I'm you I, haven't I, watched I, as much. I am, I am full on Rob. I like. I don't watch any. Wow. Show. I, I was. I love this from the first you ten guys minutes. Should, you guys should watch mech shows because this is all of this stuff is in mechs for sure. forty years. Fine, fine. But let's talk about this. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, fine. That's the thing. Uh, it's forty years of this. I'm coming into it knowing. This none is water of this is new. I know, but, but I think Rob and I come with perspective from a lot of people, which is like, okay, maybe you don't watch a lot of this. Maybe you aren't like ingrained in the genre. Like, this is some good shit. I'm, I'm, not, also, I'm not, and I'm Team Austin. Hot, thank you. Now, okay, but, but, no, no, you guys go ahead. I want to hear this. Yeah. This is super exciting for me. Anytime I can dig oh, in, like, give okay, you guys so an open door to this, please. Let's let's take the first scene, and this is where I started to really like get into this. The very first scene is a domestic scene. It's a family at the kitchen. The 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 son introducing his mom and his sister uh, to his new girlfriend, and they're referring to being uh, you know off on a military base somewhere. But it's this 
it's a just a purely domestic scene. It's got all the dynamics of, you know, teasing uh, your loved one in front of their new significant other. And then it's revealed at the end that they are digitally projected there, that, that it is a mixed reality scene, that they are just uh, sort of in VR dropping in on the family apartment back in New York. And when it's time for them to go back to work, they sort of wink out and he's sort of left there. At first, his uh, partner leaves and he's sort of left there with his family. And what's cool here is the scene strikes this balance. And I think a lot of the show strikes this balance of what you see is kind of cool and neat and sci-fi. Also slightly strange and also has this mix of like you can see the potential of something and the melancholy mm -hmm. of something. There is such a strange air of wonderment and sadness to that scene. They were there. They were. You were with your family. You were digitally projected the to be there. The, the kiss, kiss is very good. When he, yeah. when he yeah. kisses, yeah. that's good. like initial, like the where where Michael Jordan's character, like as he's about to snap out after his girlfriend has left, like he's saying goodbye, and he attempts. To, he does. He tries to kiss his mother on the cheek, but it's a digital kiss coming through and like that immediately sold me on the entire aesthetic of the world in that one moment like the fact that this this show was taking care the characterization sold me immediately and after yeah. that i was just take me on the ride like you clearly are yeah. operating at a certain level you're communicating a tone of what this show is going to be about like logic of shit i don't could not care less like i like you've sold <laughs> me on this relationship and if this is the focus of the show like i'm ready to go yeah, the, the entire, like, it's like being there, but not. Oh, that just, it gutted me. And it prepares you for, I think, a lot that's coming. Danielle, you seemed pretty excited also. I, I would say that I think the characters work for me uh, very, very well through a lot of these things. I think it's staged really, really cleverly and really nicely and really well. I think a lot of the, it's always a little hard to talk about acting decisions, right? Yeah. In terms of, it's animating decisions, right? It's animating and acting decisions and directing decisions, of course, in this sort of, weird and beautiful mix. That stuff is working for me really well, whereas some of the mech stuff, I'm kind of like, okay, I know these are tropes. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily super familiar. I've, I've watched a little bit of, of things here and there, um, but it's the characters are working for me at this point. Now, I have only watched the first episode because I had difficulties watching the second one, so fair. I, I, I saw the first tech, one. Tech difficulties. Not, Technical you were not like, difficulties. I cannot deal with the end of that first episode. <laughs> no. It was too sad. No, I was, I was I like, this, was. Is, this is a great little twist. This is uh, a wonderful pilot. I also do love that it's called The Pilot. Yeah, the name of the, the first pilot, episode is called The Pilot, uh, yeah, and it's, it's about a pilot. It's good. That's cool. uh, the twist is really good at the end of the first episode, which I'm not going to spoil here, and one of the things that I think is really remarkable is there's a follow-up to the twist. There's a second twist mm -hmm. and they hold on that for as long as fucking possible through the through the fall was it through the second mm -hmm. episode or through the i'm now mixing okay. when my episodes break. the second one the second one you get towards like the end of that episode mm -hmm. before it pays mm. off mm -hmm. um and, <laughs> and then there's a twist within the twist. there's a bunch of twists there's oh. a twist after twist uh what a twist um <laughs> what i will say i'm with you on the character stuff and and there's two things i want to pull out there one is some of the facial animation on Macy Williams' character, uh, whose name I've already forgotten. Uh, I know her last name is McLeod. No, 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 no. I thought she was. No, no, sorry, sorry. Not Macy Williams. Not Macy Williams. Dakota Fanning's character. Miranda. That is true. Macy Williams' character is McLeod. That is very good. It's Cameron Cammy McLeod. But I'm sorry, Dakota Dakota Fanning's character. 
as she works through conflicted emotions mm. and frustrations Ooh, is actually good. really fucking good. It's yeah. really I, fucking I, good. I was on her side the whole time. Like, yeah, you should be pissed. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, <laughs> I was not. Oh, there's some shit she says. I, you're right. You're right that she should be pissed. But, but there's some there's shit she says that to I was a character like, that is like, yo, fuck you. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I got seen mad. It, but a great nuance. <laughs> like, when's all about, like, like, Vocal performance and like really yes. detailed animation mm-hmm. is when the old mechanic buddy yes. is sort of inducted into the new secret program and is coming face to face with the again the mix of wondrous technology and slightly mm-hmm. horrific technology uh, that that uh, has enabled sort of this war to be turned around. Um, that whole sequence plays out so brilliantly as you see somebody making an earnest effort to adapt themselves to a new understanding of what a relationship is going to be moving forward um, mm. without betraying any sort of othering or negative react. It is such a good scene. Right, which I'm contrasting uh, with a scene with Miranda who, mm-hmm. who, because of totally legitimate feelings, I think, ends up saying one specific thing that mm-hmm. undercuts another person's selfhood and reality. Um, and I think a lot of the, what we're talking around is super important to maybe talk about it in a more deep way and we should just like do a spoiler warning so we can yeah. just say words yes, again. Yes, oh my God, yes, uh, But But first, <laughs> one of the things I want to tease for people who may be like, mm, I don't know if I want to do it or not, is for me, mech shows, genres are always about a billion different things. There is no subgenre. There's no genre that's only about one thing. But one thing I like to think about sometimes is genres are often always about at least certain things. You can't separate them. And for me, mech shows are always about bodies in some way. You uh, you cannot make a show in which people get into giant walking robots and not have it to some degree be about bodies. Maybe that ends up being bodies and trauma. Maybe it ends up being about bodies and warfare. Maybe it ends up being about bodies and sexuality or bodies and, and ideas of the self. But bodies are always present. Bodies get wounded. But I mean, like, I, I just rewatched the end of the first Gundam series, which includes the main characters, uh, mechs, head and and uh, one arm being destroyed. And so he's just literally a walking body with a rifle in his hand, and that is it. And then his rival's body is destroyed, and his his mech's head is the only thing left, and it's floating around. And so it's like, oh, yeah, good. Like, the literally the brain versus the soldier's body is what is left on the screen. It's every anime or every mecha show at some point is dealing with these, with these issues. And so that is at the one of the core things for Genlock. Uh, now I think we're going to talk. We have to talk about them within spoilers because the stuff that ends up happening is so so Just, major in terms of what is happening here and and what the stakes are. Mm-hmm. Um, I so. love Austin going full. I believe mecha anime is a way of communicating ancient uh. truths. <laughs> to <laughs> the That's what I do. It's it's There's a thing called the showdown. Um, but uh, the so so in this show, the end of the first episode is Chase Michael B. Jordan's character. Uh, being presumably killed, shot down, having sacrificed his life to to deploy an EMP to shut down a super weapon that maybe gave his his friends and allies and hopefully family the time to escape from New York, which is being invaded by the Union. Uh oh. Uh oh. I don't. We know. Still, I'm like three episodes in. I still don't really know what the Union and the Polity are, or what their differences are. Yeah. Yeah, Pat, yeah, Rob. What's up? It's also weird. The, the union of the bad guys, okay, fine, like the sinister, like union, union. like a uh, big one world government, okay, whatever, sure. But then also, 
they're rescuing people via the Underground Railroad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From the Union. From the union? I'm like, mm -hmm. it begins to feel like the metaphor is getting weird <laughs> it's here. It's a little weird. A little uh -huh. twisted. And also there's like, uh, that is some of the refugee crisis stuff, which you haven't even, there's a thing in episode three. Is it three that really gets into it? Or is it yeah, it's yeah. three. That's fascinating. I mean, they, they that's like, that's the show is like, there are so many like moments where I'm like, are they going to do something with this? Or like you said, or is it going to be spice? Like, is it going to be spice? Is this like a buzzword in, right. in, in, and just like nodding to a larger thing that takes place in our in our society in real life? Like, is this punch up work by Evan? Honestly, it's kind of what it felt like sometimes. It's yeah. Like, oh, did one writer in this room go? If refugees show up, we cannot just put refugees on screen to, to tweak at heart at heartstrings. We have to at least address this. Characters have to speak about them and treat them like people. Mm -hmm. um, but what I was going to say is yeah. one of these things that is more than spice for sure is this question of the body and disability and trauma. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, and Danielle, if you only get to the first episode, I mean, surprise, Michael B. Jordan didn't only well, she exist. Saw the turn. But isn't the no, turn? No, the turn's in the, the second episode. Ep does he return in the first episode? The no. first episode. Okay. At the end first of the first episode, he's standing there. Yeah, he's standing there, and he says, "What did I miss?" But, but you Got don't you. see the oh, reveal okay. of fuck. You didn't body. see the body. Yeah, but you can already start to guess. Like oh. at the end of the first episode, you got one of two no, no, ideas. No, no, but in your that's head. right. But the turn, but the turn for me when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, he's an AI now." Yeah, that's what I, thought. what I thought. I thought so it was brain yeah. extraction. Yeah, his body exists still, and it's in like a tube, okay. and he's been like cut in half. His spine, like he's a metallic spine. It's very spine. source code. It's very, it is, it is. Okay. It's very source code. It's, it's very ghost in the shell. It's very much like the human body kind of reduced, or not reduced, but like uh, uh, cut, literally cut down to a torso. Into a central a torso, nervous system, basically. Right, to a central, to okay. a central nervous system. Um, and the thing I like about this is it forces characters to confront literally the trauma of war, but also the body, a disabled body, a human body that has been disabled and, or is, is, is disabled, is socially disabled, and... Uh, and partially also makes the technology, it keeps us from saying this technology only exists to do warfare, which it also does primarily exist to do warfare. Mm -hmm. But for him, it is a way for him to have mobility, to continue to see people mm -hmm. he cares about, to move around spaces that he could not move around without it. And that problematizes and, and, and makes more complex this core idea, yeah. which... I'm happy they are committing to that at least element, and I'm yeah. curious to see where it goes. And I think that that the two scenes we're talking about, the scene with his buddy Miguel, the mechanic, who he plays Rainbow Six Siege with, I think they just named they just say Siege. Siege. It might be I, mm, mm. that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> okay, uh, and then two his 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 run in with his ex Miranda, who was like, "You're not even really him, or you're not even real." Yeah, uh, is like oh, and I wonder like. That's that that moment really got me because I was like, is this is this going to be a thing like is is like the question and there's other moments, too, where there's like questionable um, um, other other types of selfhood are, are put into question. Oh, right. Um, I don't know if I should. Spoil. Yeah, we'll have to spoil. But like, okay. I'm watching this show now, so don't go past episode two. <laughs> I will not. Okay, I will okay. not. I will not. Um, also, I'm give I'm me the episode I'm, three link after the. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Three hits. Let's I watched. I watched three. Is so, what I'll say. I think I've got so. through five in my inbox, Rob. We'll, I, yeah, after, I got no, after class, I need. After I need class. that link. This is the other thing about this that's interesting is. And and I'm I'm sure I'm breaking some tiny version of the embargo around this, but <laughs> three, four, and five that they sent us are unfinished episodes. They're episodes without mm. complete CG. Like there are straight up ah, shots shit. in 
episodes three. You're going to have to wait. Maybe I don't want to watch it. Yeah. You okay. don't. Well, maybe. So here's the question. And this is part of why I'm so fascinated by this thing is episode three is mostly complete minus some backgrounds and some stuff like that. The beginning of episode four straight up has like placeholder art that is just a still frame that is from the storyboard or whatever. I'm just like, I don't know, some brain shit is happening. Like <laughs> electrons fire in a brain and it's literally a still on screen for a second, which is like blue and white lines. And the thing that this made me think about is they sent me those. They sent all of us those. And that means they are confident that this show is not about robot fights. This is a show about mm -hmm. characters, about world building, because and, and about writing and, and acting. And if those things are strong enough, we will watch them and enjoy them despite the fights not being there. Rob's acting. That's good because the robots are not great. Robots are not. <laughs> I do not love the like. You mean the Power Rangers? No, there's two. There's two. Yes, they <laughs> like there's Power Rangers. You had all these cool robots and jets that like have like really cool articulated like weapon systems and limbs, and they're like you know cool little walker combat vehicles and VTOL attack aircraft. And I'm like hell yeah, these things look cool. And then into that world comes fucking Voltron. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that just looks like a Gundam. Like, well, that's just like, that's, it's like you a, just like cut I that think, out. I think those are like what they say in episode two is that those are like trains. I think the one that Michael B. Jordan, that Chase and that. Chase and the other. The other woman, the woman in yellow, who I will not spoil what her situation is because it's interesting. Hmm. Um, those two characters both have their complete mechs. Because with they've armor been like fully trained. Yeah. So I think, I think these are like trainer wheels. I think the ones that don't have the armor on are training wheels. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. The ones that look like Gundams are just, I think that's what it's going to be. I think there's, there are some, uh, Rob, I think this is just who you are. You're always going to be more battle tech than Gundam, you know? You're going to want the guns to be attached on the sides. I get it. Um, and I think Multiple rocket launcher beats sword. I'm sorry. That's just facts. Well, if, you was, if you have hands, answered. if you have hands, you can you can have a sword on your back and a rocket launcher in your arms. And when you run out of and ammo, you can grab the rocket launcher and just throw it back. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't even. I was just saying with hands. Yeah, but that wow. no spoilers. Wow. Damn. Man. I know. But wow. I was, wow. I, I was just uh -huh. talking generally. I wasn't. Okay. Thanks, Austin. Uh -huh. I wasn't specifically talking about a specific moment. I was okay. just saying. Hands. I will say that there's. So part who of that actually spoiled it? Did Austin spoil it by calling it out Austin as a spoiler? Spoiled Austin spoiled it. I was, it. Trying to, I was trying to signal maybe to be careful about well, future would, things that were being said. I know, but you got to be mind linked with me to know that I was speaking amb 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 wow. ambiguously. Please. We have to be genlock. We got to be genlock. Which is the third thing here. Genlock is a thing that says one in a million people can do this process, which is upload their brains to a giant robot. But not uh -huh. gender lock. Ge mm, no. <laughs> gender unlocked. I am gender unlocked. 2019 gender unlocked. <laughs> I like that. Do your fucking thing. That's good. Um, well, I don't want to. Okay. Well, no, there's a specific line that we should talk about from episode two. Episode two is out. Episode one and episode two are out. Yeah. And also we're in the spoiler zone. So I don't give okay. a fuck. So there is this exchange that I'm still trying to work through because the, the another thing that we have to think about here is like, are these drones? Right. Yes. Uh, there is this exchange where the David Tennant character, who's this doctor, sets them up, and another character, one of the soldiers, is like, "So they're not drones, and they're not RC. No, but there's no place for a cockpit, no pilot. So if Chase is still in recovery, and David Tennant says, "Oh, there's a pilot. If you want to be precise, there's no human bodies above or inside the Holons. 
which is a weird name. I thought they were Hollows, and I was like, yeah, Hollows is a great name oh, for yeah, a mech. Oh, yeah, it's a cool name. Um, but they are piloted by a decanted human mind, which, one... Decanted. Decanted human mind, great phrase. Yeah. That's where I was at. I, like, I just started, like, t- typing to Austin. I was like, dude, like... Yeah, the all caps, uh, we mentioned all caps in in the Latin Begin Rewatch It this week that Rob sent me. That was him in all caps saying, decanted human mind. Very good. <laughs> which is very good. Um, um, but 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 is it feels like it's sidestepping the question of whether these are drones or not because that is such like a, a an important part of this conversation. Yeah, well, there's uh, there is a conversation that you and I had like one time in lobby one. We're talking about cyborgs and cyborg bodies, and we're talking about what would happen when we just uploaded our consciousnesses to the mainframe or whatever and lived in our cyborg decanted. bodies and became deta- decanted minds, uh, human minds. And one thing you said that has stuck with me is that upon doing that, we would begin a new path of consciousness. Right. And that this, that whatever the, whatever path we're leading before would no longer exist. This is the, the Soma question. People should play right. Soma. Soma digs right. into all this played, stuff super well. I haven't played Soma. I think you would like Soma a lot. I should or play You would it. love the question. And, 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 um, and I know you don't like to play scary games, but you can turn off the monsters. And yes. so you, you can, can just oh, it's a scary game. It's a scary game, but it's not, not monsters. It's not Mr. X, but you can turn it's off. It's not you that just I do don't the... like scary games. It's just that they come back to haunt know, me know, in my sleeps. I'm, I'm saying there's a there's a you can play a version <laughs> of the game that will minimize cool. the like, yeah. I like post post game terror that will be inflicted upon <laughs> you. You'll still have an existential dread <laughs> when you realize where the story goes, but it's, it's a different type of terror. Love it. Give it to me. So I was thinking about that conversation a lot because. To me, and I and and this is what I mean when I say that like the, they're they're bringing up a lot of questions in these first two episodes about like about things, and I'm just like, how do they work? And and I'm very curious to see if they if they continue uh, to explain sort of like what happens behind it. Um, but that but that I, I couldn't stop thinking about that conversation because like to me it seems like it does seem almost more drone like in the sense that. They're still, as as far as you know, they're still in. They they can return to their bodies. They're not like connected to this other thing. We don't know that. Well, we know they can they can return. What we don't know yet is what happens if a mech gets totally destroyed. We don't know what happens bo- if they stay mu- too long. We also don't know what happens if they stay too long. It could be an anamorph situation. It could oh, be. This shit. is an anamorph. Someone get Applegate on the phone. I think this is a, a, a an anamorph situation. Explain what that means. I was I did, I, I I did not read a lot of anamorphs when I was a kid. I saw the books. Oh, I was yeah. goosebumps, so, baby. I, yeah, goosebumps. Also, I was also mostly goosebumps. But I dipped my toes in some Rob, anamorphs. Rob, you know, you didn't you didn't need to laugh <laughs> that hard. That line like fucking Sinatra. Goosebumps <laughs> all the way, baby. <laughs> uh, from the anamorphs wiki. If one stays in morph longer than two hours, they become trapped in that morph, turning into, and then some alien word that I don't know how to read because I don't know anamorph. Nothlet. Nothlet. What? Wrong. It's not. It's not an andalite. No, no, that's what that language is. Oh, the andalite language. Andalite. Thank you, Kato. Andalite, our our lead researcher on the side. Yeah, that's what happens to Tobias in like one of the first books. Tobias gets stuck as a hawk, and it's like, oh, this guy is just a fucking hawk for the rest of his life. But Wild. he can still think as a human? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, oh, it's sort of like an Earthsea where you shapeshift for too long, yes. and like you have to. It takes a long time to return to yourself if you even can. I suspect it's literally inspired by that Earthsea <coughs> rule, actually. Um, so, I'm very curious. Yeah, if you know, well, I, if the, if there is any sort of like change happening in in sort of like being and selfhood by entering this sort of mainframe. This is also a super fraught space in an interesting way that we came across last year in a lot of the the discourse, and I mean that in a lowercase d, non-judgy way, honestly, the discourse around cyberpunk, because we, I think around the cyberpunk 2077 trailer, one of the things that came to mind, or came, came up, kind of bubbled up, were disparate understandings of the genre cyberpunk. Um, mm. th for a lot of people in my uh, in my age bracket or or a lot of people who grew up loving cyberpunk in the way that I specifically did, cyberpunk was a thing I liked and a lot of folks liked explicitly because it was one of the rare science fiction genres that wanted to or that provided a palette for thinking through questions of oppression and which though its own heroes very rarely were revolutionaries, very rarely were doing more than anything more than just trying to get their payday and get theirs and get the fuck out and try to scrape by another day, it recognized systemic oppression as a truth of the world and something that felt like it would be extended into the future. There's another group of people who are who found something else that they loved about cyberpunk, which is in its depiction of transformative technologies, they could imagine a world in which they could more more easily become who they really felt they were. Obviously, this is a lot of trans folks, but it's also just a lot of people in general who imagine themselves in, in other ways. And that they what they connected to were was a sort of uh, optimism inside of cyberpunk technologies. Um, and part of the reason I think that they that they found that there was a an abdication from cyberpunk media. Um, from tackling the questions of systemic oppression or, or the, the front-loading of that. And instead, what we got a lot of were transhumanist narratives that were not critical transhumanism, that were not asking about who had access to those sorts of technologies or about who benefited from them or who would monopolize them and literally get paid from them. Um, and instead were kind of power fantasies. And power fantasies can be very can be very powerful things for people, especially for people who are oppressed or who are or marginalized. Um, and so one of the things with Genlock that's so fascinating and I'm interested to see is the technology that lets them do this and the technology that lets that lets Chase project his body wherever it is. Is that a technology that that will have wider uses throughout the series? If if you know, if a trans person was using that technology, could they project as a different person? How how is Chase's body de designed? The, the holograph the hologram version of it. And will it try to tackle and untangle this? the kind of productive and and radical elements of the idea of giving yourself you know infinitely changeable selfhood the the ability to put your own mind into other bodies bodies you wish you had bodies that are more powerful than yours bodies that can change the political uh, reality of your world um, will it will it try to balance that kind of optimism with the reason this is happening, the reason that they have funding at all is because it's military purposes. Mm -hmm. The military wants to give this guy money so that he can build them better war machines. How do you untangle those two things without being naive about it, without being like, well, we, we took the genie out of the bottle and we're here now. Let's find the best possible uses. Um, and so that's one of the things I wanted to continue to dig into because my favorite examples of mech shows do that. 
um, and or at least attempt to do that that work. That work is happening in them, whether or not they stick the landing. And but it is less than, or it is it is not just a little extra spice, like woke spice. <laughs> My favorite Spice Girl, uh, woke spice. Woke spice. Um, it's it's more. They ain't than serving that. that at Starbucks. If They're you want to be her <laughs> lover, oh, we cannot talk about Starbucks this week. <sighs> anyway, that is part of my my big p- picture question going forward in this in this show, and also I hope the mech fights get better. Um, I think the first one's like okay. I think the intro has some pretty good mech shit in it. Like the intro movie, which is, I think only start the like the op the opening credits only gets that in the second episode. You only see that, but mm-hmm. like we'll see, we'll see if it gets there. There's eight episodes this season, and I suspect it will. If it's anything like Ruby, we'll get another season either by the end of this year or early next year. So, <laughs> any other thoughts on this? Sorry for just grabbing the microphone and holding the floor to. Monologue. I'm excited, I, I'm, but that's who I, I am. I couldn't I'm, give couldn't give less of a shit if the mech fights get any better because like I'm I like. You want the, the sci-fi are, story stuff? Not yeah. even that. No, like I was huh. I was invested in the relationships immediately. Like all the sci-fi stuff gives me a, a tone and a sense of like what they're going for. But like the care initially the, the animation was a huge turnoff. I was like they're not gonna be able to express shit with the way this animate because I'm, I'm not familiar with that right. animation style very much. It turned me off when we uh, watched the Dragon Prince because it just was it's kind of off-putting as someone that's like largely familiar with like just more traditional 2D animation that's right. ex- expresses in a certain way. Um, and I thought that, oh, this is going to be a limitation. But they get over that pretty quickly. And just the, ca- the characters, like, again, like, I, I sure, I hope the mech fights are fine. But, like, I could probably skip past that stuff. And I'm more interested in, the. I want to see where do you want, Miranda and Chase go. Do you think, do you think they're going to get together? Do you think that they're going to get back together? Miranda and Chase? Yeah. Yeah, probably. But I hope it's fucking complicated. Like, because it, it's... Because <laughs> it should be. Uh, it should be. Like, yeah. I, I, I hope the, the series, like, more directly addresses, like, her dehumanizing... Uh, comments because that should be like the, the interesting that that sh- if that's the core <clears throat> of the show is like them working out what it means for their relationship and mm-hmm. whether the two of them can make it work like part of the reason that like initial scene where they uh, she she makes that comment is so powerful is the voice acting is so spectacular alongside the animation that like you feel the fucking heat yeah like even even though you look back you read that comment on paper and go like how the fuck could you say that to him given now what you know what he went through? But like the voice acting and the animation, like in the moment you understand like her raw reaction so viscerally of how yeah. she could spend four years. And then it's not like it's an introduction where he comes back and it's like, hey, I need to tell you what I just went through. Not like she's in a mission briefing. <laughs> yeah. When he just, his ass it's just rough. shows up. So like, I like I got it. Like I, I was like, I understand your raw fury even if like you went to like, the deepest depths to mm-hmm. to knife him in that moment, and so like I'm getting worked up talking about it because that I found that moment to just be like it's the kiss, and th- and then it's that scene where I was like cool let's go like I want <laughs> I want to see where where this ends up and so it's like that core relationship is like where like that's the whole show for me everything else is interesting, uh, but like I'm just so curious how they answer that core question about how they deal with a a, a different type of relationship given what's happened to him. I am dying to know about what happens when the little sister makes her way back into the story. Yo, totally. Like, yeah. the way I want her to be a pop somebody, star so bad. Me too. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, again, that first scene is so successful because here, like across the room, we have somebody who already inhabits that space in between the real and the digital, right? And mm-hmm. is comfortable, arguably more comfortable in the mixed reality world rather than being in just like present in the physical immediate one. Totally. Uh, and I'm so curious to see how that dynamic 
shapes up once she is reintroduced, which I assume they are going to be reintroducing that family. Otherwise, uh, they are going to be setting a whole bunch of good characterization on fire from the, <laughs> from the jump, which would be a bold, uh, a bold decision. Uh, a Legend of Galactic Heroes uh, level profligacy <laughs> with characterization. Uh, oh, but man. nevertheless, I'd be, I'd be into it. I remember the last little thing I wanted to add on that last conversation, the last part of the conversation, which is one of the things to keep in mind that I think is, again, really interesting here is Genlock is not available for most people. It's one in a million. You have to be born with it. You have to be a mutant, right? You have to have <laughs> this special gene that yes. makes you a different person, a different type of human being that lets you connect to these machines, which means if you want to be a soldier and fight for against the Union, whoever the fuck they are, and you don't have it, you better get your ass in a regular mech where you can get shot and killed. Um, and if you want to use the wider applications and teleport yourself around your house so you can be talking to your partner one second and then your robot the next or your best friend the mechanic the next, well, good luck. I hope you have this one special one in the million gene. Well, I think you can uh, mix no matter... I think anyone can mix. Can they? Oh, yeah, you're right, David because David Tennant Miranda, can do that. Because Miranda can mix uh, the uh, David Tennant's robot right. like, companion It's can only mix. about putting your brain inside robots? Uh, the Genlock is just okay. putting the brain inside the robots, I think. Um, mixing, I think anybody can. I love do. that you've already internalized the name of the infiction. I know because when they, because when the, when the robot, he's like, if you mix in, I'll have. Again, he specifically says if you mix in. <laughs> what? What is I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm trying not to spoil. A Natalie explanation. Oh, 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 okay. All right. I'm trying I, not to spoil. That's why I was like. No, no, I got, I got you. Okay. But, but Thank basically, you. somebody says like you, you mix in to my lab <laughs> and um and so that's where i learned the word <laughs> we've just found a phrase that just breaks natalie i'm sorry it's just, it's so funny like i'm about mi who's mixing in who's tonight mixing in tonight yeah like is that what you, you say in? a fire on yeah, the fire yeah on, on the fire if i could have mixed <laughs> who's in the to, mix to the fire if i could have mixed to the fire i would have mixed to the fire the Meyer Festival. Fire Festival. <laughs> it is the Meyer Festival. It, it is. truly it is. was. That's one of the headlines that got all the traffic. The Meyer of P on that. Jesus Christ. Um, there's a, there's some good moments in episode three. People should watch episode three. Yeah, I, I can, definitely that one I can watch definitely episode say. three. So you just watch this on roosterteeth.com. That's basically where this stuff, uh, So like, w one and two. Uh, so they're there and they're also on vrv.com, which Verve, which is the which is the service that is both rooster has like rooster teeth. Crunchyroll High Dive. Uh, you should have a. Yeah. I thought it has what Crunchyroll doesn't have. No, it no. still has Crunchyroll. Oh. What it doesn't have is Funimation. Verb Funimation. Has Funimation. Crunchyroll don't. <laughs> uh, so it's Boomerang, which is like cartoon classics. Cartoon Hangover, which is like um, the company that did like uh, Bravest Heroes and what's the one I like? Bee and Puppycat. Uh, Crunchyroll, oh. which is a bunch of anime. There's some documentaries and stuff. But then the big ones for you, Rob Zachney, are. The Rooster Teeth for this, uh, Crunchyroll for more anime, which you should watch more of, and then High Dive, which has all of Legend of Galactic Heroes. Okay. Which people should people should go watch all of that because it's okay. fucking great. That's definitely how I'm watching Legend of Galactic Heroes. You certainly didn't get a DVD burned from Did, a friend of the no. site. Wow. That would never. I. That would wow. never fly. You should get a subscription to High Dive and watch illegal it. anime. <laughs> That's our news. On a DVD. On my PC? Jesus Christ. I can't believe. Send this to legal. Send it to legal. No. Uh, Shudder is on there, Patrick. You want to. Oh, hell yeah. What Shudder's got going on there. Great service. 
Yeah, I, I, I genuinely... No, legitimately. Yeah. Shudder has like a lot of really good yep. archival... Uh, Channel Zero, right there, most popular. Hell Boom. fucking yes, there you thank go. you. Maybe they'll keep it alive. <sighs> I wish. Not. Jesus Christ. <laughs> They're Rude. Pour one out. Oh, isn't he doing something new? Isn't he like the lead on yes. Channel Zero? Yes, Nick Ant- Ant- Costa, yeah. Like what is new... it? I don't know that we know much about it yet. No, he's producing something. It just got announced. Um... Yeah, it, it's like a new project. Uh, oh, no, yeah. But <laughs> he's that's pr- he's, it. Produ- he's producing Child's Play, the TV show on Sci-Fi. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Why? Hmm. Chucky, what is that? Chucky got lucky. Chucky. I don't know. Chucky. Oh, remember Chucky? Okay. I was so yeah. scared. Hey, Chucky is a movie. Oh, the first movie is still. Yeah, it's fucked up. Remember when he has sex with Jennifer Tilly? Mm-hmm. Huh. Spoilers. 1998. <laughs> <laughs> Just talked about Practical Magic earlier, and this is. Well, Rob, we figured out our next series should be good and rewatch it. <laughs> nope. Child's Play. I'm vetoing it. The oh, TV I, series. Thank you, Natalie. I should. <laughs> you're welcome. You got to choose it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I should quickly note. I are we done with Gundams? Yeah, we're done with Gundams. Okay. They're not Gundams. They're Max. Gundams Hol- with the Gundams. Hollons. Hollows is so good. I'm stealing Hollows. Hollows is really good. Hol-lens. Use it. It's yeah. really good. I should say really. I'm, yeah, uh-huh, I got it. I have to write it down in a specific document about a future Friends of the Table season. It's fine. Good. Um, I should say really quickly, the model that I was talking about before was not Chantal Jeffries. It was uh, Chanel Amon. Sorry. Okay. My mistake. Good catch. All right. Um, Thank you. Just wanted to make that note. And not all, all MMA right, uh, athletes are not <laughs> are, are not mutants. Some MMA Some athletes are, are it's mutants. It's just more like the general like specs for things like sprinting and jumping, and it's, they're they tend to be more in line with normal people. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I feel like we, we might be mutant versus dis- normal distribution of body types. I don't know like where where that boundary is. Uh, look, I'm not James McAvoy from First Class. Oh. I carry um, the I don't mutation. Really that stuff. Another oh we could we could do first class we could go Rob we could do another James McAvoy just banger. celebrate just do first class atonement uh huh done oh, oh yeah uh, wow. Chronicle, Chronicles of Narnia please is he in that is he's Mister Tumnus is he Prince Caspian he's Mister Tumnus Mister Tumnus the centaur they just did an S- some SNL skit about that right People I don't know I don't watch SNL that. oh no yeah if you I'm gonna send you a link after this <laughs> Natalie he's... <laughs> Y'all, we got through what? the whole of Jupiter what? Ascending. What link are you going to send Natalie after this? <laughs> oh, a Saturday Night Lights skit. <laughs> Look, it's there. Wow. Here's some weird centaur shit, Natalie. No, but it's a, it's a skit about like it is. people being horny for that character. Yep. He's not a centaur. He's is not a centaur. Is he a satyr? He's a satyr. Satyr, Our sorry. thanks to Too Mellow for the track slide asleep on I the album After Midnight. People are going to send You can find in. that at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. You can keep up with all of us at waypoint. You could fuck a centaur. I'm not going to judge you. I'm I Rob Zachney. You can find me on Twitter, at Rob Zachney. That will do it for waypoints. We hope you enjoyed the break. Please be sure to rate and review us. After you go back and listen to the early episodes, and maybe last week's, uh, but rate and review us uh, on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, I I like to think we're five star. Uh, we're a five star cast. Some days I believe it. Uh, but anyway, we'll be back again with Waypoint Radio on Friday. Uh, you should also be sure to listen to our new podcast, Be Good and Rewatch It, uh, where we took a long look at Glass this week, which is the conclusion to M. Night Shyamalan's superhero trilogy. 
Uh, and next week, apparently for reasons known only to God, <laughs> we're going to discuss also known as me. Patrick, our we're, God. IMDb lists, lists James McAvoy's uh, trademark like features as blue eyes, wavy hair, and Scottish accent. <laughs> he didn't have any of those in Split or the other one we did. Well, he did have he those played baby so many characters eyes. in Split. He just didn't want to be typed. Gotcha. Uh, Austin, for, for more insights like that and Mecca discourse, uh, where can people uh, follow you? James McAvoy says, from the age of seven or eight, I was quite sensitized to my ability to be fairly manipulative. Not saying I was a fucking infant Machiavelli, but I was interested in playing people. And that was something I did to my benefit at times. And I'm picturing on Twitter.com. Yeah, I would me. just like to say uh, that Natalie. Machiavelli just did not. He just he was writing. I the Machiavelli stand. <laughs> no, no, I am too. Yeah, at Machiavelli, like the, the prince is complicated. Yes, the prince is complicated. The, the presumed audience, it's totally. Who could say? Uh, Natalie, where can people keep up with you? Uh, on Twitter at uh, I'm I'm not a Machiavelli stand. On Twitter at Natalie Watson. Danielle. I think it's interesting. Jupiter Ascending is a great film and way better than Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't at me, but you can at me at Danielle R.I. Why would you give them the information after you <laughs> drop such a take? It, it is a take I have had for years. You know what? I've Patrick. only seen Jupiter Ascending, so I agree. I mean, you just Patrick. did. <laughs> we just watched it. The whole Patrick. thing. Yep. Shout outs to Jessica for staying asleep for two hours. That's great. Good Thank job. you. At Patrick Klopik. Shout out to Jessica, my queen. And our thanks to Kato for uh, production this week. And you can follow Kato at A, a underscore Kato <laughs> underscore Second appears. Why do we struggle so much every time? Because there's so many underscores. And it's not part of the name. Not you like Austin was smart. Austin made his call sign underscore. Yep, I took that Why shit. Me? Austin underscore Walker, what's good? Because his other call sign would have been filibuster. That's it. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that will do it for Waypoints. Uh, hope you'll join us again next week for another podcast, another tight two-hour podcast. Oh People like it. I have internet data that says so. Yeah. Until then, Austin's got the numbers. <laughs> yeah, you need numbers. You come get me. I know where. I know where to keep them. Keep stretching. Do not give in to astonishment. So the thing with Gundam is. <laughs> When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Malice, M-A-L-U-S, like an evil, is the, is the genus name for crab apples.
Really? Yeah. Wow, that is some psychic <laughs> shit. Uh huh. <laughs> Malus. It's a, it's a hell of a thing to do. Name it. Does that. any do any does, is on this Wikipedia page? Does any do people who eats crab apples? Just squirrels? Is squirrel like squirrels? It? I guess they might. I don't think squirrels eat that. I've never seen a crab apple open. Like like inside even. of it. Yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah, like I guess I have half. Well, I probably I hit one. With, I hit him with bats, but I don't remember what. I just saw a um, crab apple fruit roll up in my image search. So people out here eating crab apples. No, that's not real. No, they ain't. Mm. Yeah, wow. It it has so they're the reason people don't eat them is that they're ex- extremely sour due to malic acid. Malic acid also. Uh, named that because of the Latin word for evil. Wow. Beloved character actor Margot Martindale also in this yep. movie. She's a mom. Yeah. Who is she? Uh, she is. She works in the candle store mm. that Sandra Bullock's character runs. Uh, and you know she's just a woman full of sassy old wisdom. <laughs> this um, movie is Rob. A- you know a lot <laughs> about it. <laughs> um. Did you watch it recently? This is just a beat. Yes. Okay. In some Southeast Asian cultures, they are valued as a sour condiment, sometimes e- uh, eaten with salt and chili pepper or shrimp paste. Who would do that to Margot Martindale? <laughs> I didn't say you should do that to those crab apples. Um, and oh. then also you can make a certain preserve or use like a small number of them in a cider to add a little bit of like weird. What is this? What'd you add to your a cider? person whose face is scrunched up and not proportionate to their already small head. That along with a weak chin makes you a crab apple. Damn. Wow. Roasted. Oh, you burn <laughs> top, it. Top definition. Little Wayne looks like a crab apple. How rude. Wow. Rude. Easy F. Um, the, you burn the wood, you burn crab apple wood to make applewood fire, to make like applewood smoked stuff. So the the apples aren't useful, but the wood is. Interesting. Anyway. All right. Crab apples. That's my waypoint this week. That's it. Um, Austin, do you want to? Should I slide over? I don't want to fuck with the, yeah, yeah, sure. I can slide too. We're good. Hello. 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 Um, All right. I've got waveforms. Can you full screen us, Kato? You good? I haven't heard that in a while, and I've missed it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I took a minute. Never yeah, forget. I, I, I thought was, it was... There's a, a possession and a yeah. seance here. That's what I thought it was. Uh, Only there's no volume, so what, I was like, that's that how powerful. Sound? That's how powerful the magic is. It came through. Yeah. I like that they're using regular ass brooms. <laughs> hey, what are you gonna do? You gotta get brooms. I know, but which is, which is be using uh, regular brooms? Listen to this fucking Harry Potter. <laughs> oh no, I know Bougie. from brooms. Yeah, I don't know. That's anything. not a fire. Fire blaster. Two thousand. <laughs> fire blaster. <laughs> Damn, I'm riding my fire blaster to Hogsmeade. <laughs> <laughs> Fire blaster is what they're using to get the trains to run on time. Oh, wow. It's fire, yeah. <laughs> all right. Bad. Not funny at all. Wow. It's cold. Me. Not funny at all. You turn me down just the teeniest little bit there. Uh, I can't wait to talk about other, in other fire news. <laughs> the fire dog. God. Can't wait. 
We got a full house today. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I can time. Sandra right. Bullock. What is this? 2001, maybe? It's gonna. It's gonna be my guess. 2000. Like Nicole Kidman there. 98. 98. I was in high school. I want mm -hmm. her hair so badly. Nicole Kidman or both, actually. Or Sandra. Nicole Kidman's oh, but Sandra Bullock's deep, rich chocolate brown is it's good. stunning. Mm -hmm. But that red is like it's really good. So pretty. It's really fantastic. Everyone in this movie just looks fucking fantastic. Uh, yes. Yeah. Everyone yes. looks great. <laughs> yes, they do. Which is be looking great. Also, apparently, tons of people have tried to find the house where that was shot, but tragically, that house, not real. They built it solely for the movie. Really? Damn. That house was but a that, liminal like, space. Damn. Because people are like, damn, I, I need a solarium. Uh -huh. I do. <laughs> you watch that movie, you're like, shit, now I get it. Yeah. I understand I the purpose for this. <laughs> fucking witchy clue house. All right. We ready to time dot is? Oh, yeah. I'm here. All right. Let's go at 30. Boring, but okay. 31. <laughs> yes. 31. Ooh, me and Rob were right on it. It's true. You're in sync. It's true. Just like these sisters. Our minds. Vodka. <laughs> That's crab apple juice. Ugh. Ah. Ooh. <laughs> make me make a crab apple <laughs> face. they doing a high five. They did a cut and then the high five. And now they're wrestling. Deep, deep, deep. <laughs> We good? We're good. No more no more paranormal. What is this called again? Pra Deadly? Paranormal, paranormal magic. That's it. <laughs> we got paranormal. it. Paranormal. Uh, paranormal magic. Mm -hmm. 